does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. It is, um, a Friday's always good. You wake up, you're ready for the weekend, which I am. And even though the Pacers lost last night, there's some optimism to talk about, I guess. I guess, for a team that's probably not headed to the playoffs. That was such a fun game last night. Yeah, exactly. And then I get up and I walk outside. I'm kind of ready to go. It looks like it's going to be a good-looking sunrise, and boom. I'm like, what happened? Temperature? It's like 23 degrees outside. Well, I'm dressed like it's springtime. I was Yesterday was like high 50s, low 60s. I was like, all right, here we go. Yeah, you got on your WrestleMania shirt and everything, Oh, right? I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Is there a WrestleMania event or something? Uh, no, not for not for a few weeks. You know that stuff's fake, right? What? <laughs> what are you saying to me? <laughs> you know, it's scripted. Yes, I do. Stuff. Like most TV shows and movies, yeah. But it's fun. It's a good time. So you still, like, as a wrestling fan, you still have fans that, like, you have favorites, and you just, you hope that that's who they write in as the winner? Yeah, I mean, you have favorite ones that, whether it's their personalities or just, you know, whatever, but yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, that's a cool guy. That guy's, that that girl's cool. I would like to see her do well. Sometimes they're good guys, sometimes they're bad guys, but yeah, everybody's got their favorites. Do they oscillate from good to bad? Yeah, of course. Okay. One day they'd be like, you guys rule, and the next, you never had my back. Go to hell. There you go, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, were you up late last night watching your St. Louis Battlehawks hold off the Seattle Sea Dragons? I actually turned it on for a little bit. Did you, now, give me – now, okay, so kidding aside. And, by the way, good morning to you. It is a Friday. That is uh, Mark Dykton. My name is Jay Corey. Sam Fritz here as well. Kevin Bowen back on Monday. But we're going to get you set for the weekend with plenty to talk about this morning. I'm sure the Pacers will be a big part of the conversation. Uh, naturally, the Colts – as well, and of course, Indiana Purdue weekend, which is always good. But um, I'm curious, Mark, not to spend too much time on the XFL because we I know what it is, but it is intriguing, as I said, because there are definitely leagues. I think there is somewhat of a place for like the spring football mm-hmm. and the USFL. I enjoyed the USFL. I actually did. Not I didn't like sit and watch every game. But it was just kind of fun to have something on, you know, sports in the background during that time of year. And, you know, I watched the the championship game was actually really exciting for the USFL, and they had a decent crowd for it last year. And they have TV backing between NBC and, the, and I may, think maybe Fox is part of it. But the XFL does as well. Uh-huh. So the XFL, which, you know, Vince McMahon apparently lost $200 million on the first go-round. He didn't lose that much up front. He that was the potential earning that they they forfeited when they folded the league. Now you have it with Dwayne Johnson. The Rock is kind of the principal behind all of it. You said you watched a little of it the other night. There are a couple of rules. You can go for a three point conversion, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. But what did you? How much did you watch last night? What did you think? Last night I watched after the Pacers game. I probably gave it five minutes because at that point I was doing some prep for the show, which I know is rare for this, but I, I did some prep for the Impressive. show. I know. I wrote some things down. I saved the document. I did that stuff. Got the girls to bed. I watched probably five minutes of it. I, I watched more of it over this past weekend. What than level I did last of night. football would you say it is? How do you mean? Like, well, I mean, like the USFL, 
Like of entertainment value? No, the skill set. Like the USFL to me was oh, like Oh, it's, watching... it's clearly a downgrade from the NFL. Yeah, There's the no USFL to it. me was kind of like watching probably that Conference USA with some elite Big Ten players here and there. Yeah. Is that about what it was? Yeah, it's kind of like that. I would say it's kind of like the in-between between college and NFL where it's the guys that aren't good enough to get to the NFL – but, but they, they would be but they're done with college and yeah, they're, right. they, you, there's some recognition, right. name recognition there. Uh, you said you watched the Pacer game last night. Uh-huh. I, look, that was one that if the Pacers were still in, and and there was the expectation that they were in a playoff push, that was a total gut punch. But that's not where they are, and so if we revert back to the beginning of the year, it was encouraging. Because they looked good, and yet they still are moving themselves into, like, top five possibility in terms of a draft pick, which I I know that they don't want and fans don't want to necessarily think of it that way, but that's kind of the reality right now of probably what you're shifting back towards is is draft watching, if you will. But what was your overall thought? I mean, I know they're they're kind of struggling right now. I I still wanted them to win that game because I thought it was just going to be like just the way they came out. Miles Turner was hitting everything from three last night. It was great to see. Fans were going nuts, and they just kept battling against the Celtics. The Celtics would take like a double-digit lead, and you're like, okay, they're turning it on now, and then the Pacers would just come back and just answer every call. And that last stretch and even going to overtime was thrilling, and it was just one of those ones where it's like, I know they're probably not going to win this game, but this would be a fun one for them to get. Just right out of the all-star break, get a big win over the top team in the NBA, and unfortunately they came just a little bit short. But it was a thrilling game. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, it was probably my favorite game I've watched all season. Uh, overtime game. Jason Tatum did not shoot the ball overly well from three-point range, but um, he obviously you know, still ends up with 31, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have on the... The other side of it, you know, Turner, as you talked about, 8 of 10 from three-point range, ends up with 40. I thought Halliburton, and you're going to have nights like this. I mean, he still had 14 assists, 22 and 14, right? And he was 7 of 14 from the floor. But late in the game, I thought Halliburton forced things a little bit. And I don't necessarily mean even the shot that would have won the game and he missed it they went to overtime where, you know, he, he – he does do a remarkable job of the step back of getting himself open. But the one thing with Halliburton, it's not an issue now, but when that step eventually goes away later in his career, it, it may be. It does take him a while to release his shot versus other players. So he needs a little bit more time to be open. I think that I'll also, shot off. from what I thought too is... And that's nitpicking. Admitting. He was maybe thinking a little too much about the shot because he knew how big some of those shots were going to be down the stretch. And it, it almost like he... He paused for a second because he was thinking about it or just wanted one more look at it before he put it up. And sometimes you don't have to think. You just got to do it. So I think that's also what happened was with that was that he was thinking a little too much on those shots and they didn't go in. They will eventually drop for him. But, you know, when those big pressure shots come, you want the ball in his hand, as I would assume, down the stretch. This is a good point that was just texted to me. Halliburton might have lost the game for them by trying to win it at the end of regulation by beating Marcus Smart. Yeah. Smart at that point was in his head. That's probably fair, right? Yeah, that's the one I was talking about where they were about to go to overtime. He had a chance to get the game winner and he just kind of paused and then he just kind of threw one up and you're like, ah, that didn't, didn't have like much of a chance. I we haven't talked enough about the fact that it's a pretty big pretty big weekend for college basketball, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, not just uh, not not just with IU and Purdue, but there's some big games on the slate this weekend, especially with uh, the regular season winding down. Selection Sunday coming up soon, so yeah, some big games coming up. Uh, IU Purdue obviously headlighting all of that. That game at seven thirty tomorrow from Mackey up in West Lafayette. Um, kudos and congratulations, by the way. And my understanding is, at the last minute, Robert Morris on the way here decided they picked up the rest of the guys. It oh, wasn't just That's Bob good. himself. And IEPY last night, eighty-one seventy-five over Robert Morris. So kudos to him. They snap a, five, a four-game losing streak. I mean, DK I don't think Jackson it would have. It wouldn't have been as impressive boards. if it was five on one. If it was just five, it wouldn't have been as impressive if it was five on one. I know, but five on five, you got to hand it to him. Yeah. Right? I mean, good stuff. What's your uh, weekend look like? So last weekend we did a whole bunch of stuff. We went to Louisville for this dinosaur cave thing, and then we went to. You Mun- do a lot of day trips, don't I you? I know. And then we did Muncie on Saturday. We went to the uh, Children's Museum there, which was fun. And then we did the uh, we went to Uranus uh, Fudge Factory. What? I, I, that is what it's called. That's that's like near Lapel, right? Yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. And then uh, Sunday we kind of took it easy. And, did that stuff this weekend we are going up to my parents house i haven't seen them for a little bit so we're gonna go see them see the let them see the granddaughters and whatnot and then it's kind of i think we're gonna go to chicago and maybe go to a couple museums too it's been a while since we did the museum tour in chicago so i think we're gonna do a couple of those how much is the science and industry museum these days i don't know i I have to look it up but i'm not sure but that is that is my favorite museum in chicago well i mean as a kid we went there it was amazing right yeah went all the time how are your parents doing for those that listen to the program regularly it was just about a year ago, right? Yeah. I mean, it was right, about, right after uh, Mother's Day weekend, so and we're we coming can, up on the one we year. We can kind of, I guess, joke about it now, but do you remember at the time we were kind of laughing about it, you got that text. Oh, my God. Yeah, my parents, of course, tried not to make a big deal out of things. They were like, oh, my dad had a business trip in Oregon, and my mom went with him. She's like, yeah, I've never been there. I'll go with you. I'll be out there for the week. So they're going to do – they went out a couple days early, and they were going to go do some sightseeing and all that stuff. And then uh, we got a text like the night before, or the, the night before a show, and I was like, "Hey, just wanted to let you know we were in a little bit of a fender bender. No big deal. Like this and that, we're fine. But just want to let you guys know, we're like, oh, okay, like good, you're all right." They send us the picture, and I'm like, "Holy hell! Like that car was totaled." And like, yeah, I was like, apparently head on. Your mom broke her like ankle and you know wrist and a couple broken ribs and all that stuff. Like, Wait, wasn't there? That's not air- a fender bender. Wasn't there an airlift involved? Uh, for the lady who caused the accident, yeah. That's what I mean. But then it started raining so bad that they couldn't fly my mom out, so she had to get driven from, uh, uh, like, south of Eugene, Oregon to Portland, which is about a three-hour drive, so a three-hour ambulance ride to Portland. And then my dad got released that that night later, and he was in a hotel, but he was all gimpy and everything, too. He's still having some pain, but they are doing... Much better, but yeah, the joke was that they called it a fender bender, and then later after that show, we did. I ended up flying out to Oregon to go see him because I'm like, well, there's no way my dad's going to get to to Portland in the condition he's in. And uh, good thing I went, and then he and my uh, my brother and I, uh, my youngest brother and I, split time and uh, went out there and stuff. Well, so I remember you out. went out to see him, and then you came back with nothing but souvenirs. And I'm like, what did you just? <laughs> Mike, we're going like to see. We, to had to go get, we, had, we had to go get to my mom, and my dad's like, well, I don't want you coming out here for no reason. You should go see something. I'm like, Dad, this is not why I'm here. I'm not going sightseeing to see this. But so you know what you should have seen? We stopped at the University of Oregon and I, got I, lunch, I, and he's like, buy yourself a shirt. I'm like, okay, Dad. I, I get it. I mean, I'm being flippant. But um, but they're doing much better if now. If you go to Oregon, Oregon's a beautiful state. 
and I, I have not done this. I'm going to Portland, obviously, for IndyCar this year, and, and I, I really want to do this. I want to take an extra day and go to Astoria. Uh-huh. The Goonies house is for sale. Ooh. Now, you've seen the Goonies, right? I have seen it, yes. I'm not going to lie. I've never seen it beginning to end. I've seen parts. I know. I'll leave now. Okay. No, I get it. I mean, part of that's probably just, I mean, you know, it came out probably the year you were born. But, you know, I mean, if you really want to see Corey Feldman at his peak, you watch The Goonies and Sean Astin. But a good movie. But anyway, that's in a story, and I've always wanted to see the house where it was. But The funny thing was we actually just talked about my parents' accent situation last night on our, our family chat because I was saying, oh, Aaron Rodgers emerged from his darkness retreat. And where was it? Like just a couple hours east of Roseburg, which is where the accident occurred. Was it really? Yeah. So I was looking into it. I'm like, oh, this is where that where he was in this cave or whatever. Like, what are the odds of that? Uh, Alan Karpik, by the way, going to join us just over 30 minutes from now. We'll talk a little Purdue basketball with them as the Boilers get set to host Indiana. Eight o'clock, Rakestraw going to join us. Big weekend in girls high school basketball, notably, and a big one for him on a personal side. We'll get to that. Nine o'clock, Don Fisher, legendary voice of the Indiana Hoosiers, will join us. Again, to talk IU and Purdue. Uh, back to that, Mark, the Rodgers thing. Aaron Rodgers is clearly, I mean, if you had to rank quarterbacks all time, he is in the top 20. He's probably a top 15 all-time quarterback. Of the current quarterbacks, he's had, you know, the the, the totality of his career is in the upper crust. No question about that. But there's something about Rodgers that at some point your on-field success can become secondary to your on-field excess or off-field excess. And I feel like he's there. And I don't think – I think he's been there for a couple seasons. Yeah, and I don't know that he knows he's there. No, he doesn't. If you've ever been to Green Bay, Wisconsin, or Milwaukee, but certainly Green Bay, which is another two hours north of Milwaukee, Literally, you know, there's a – the top businessmen in Green Bay all have a meeting downtown, and you walk downtown, and they're all wearing three-piece suits and a Packers parka. You go into the grocery store, and the guy coming out of the dairy cooler that was stocking yogurt is wearing a Packers hat. You drive through the neighborhoods – just outside of Green Bay, and every single car has a Packer license plate border, and 90% of the cars are green or yellow. That town, and it's a different place because unlike any other city in the NFL, I mean, Green Bay is the size of Muncie. Yeah. So if you if you play for the Packers, you're a part of the community. They People run into you at the grocery store. They high-five you in the movie theater during training camp. The little kids ride your bike from the facility to the stadium, et cetera, et cetera. And Rodgers, I think, when there was a lot of drama with Brett Favre. And people were kind of over the drama of Brett Favre to the point where I think it made Packers fans, like, eager to pass the torch to Aaron Rodgers. Like, let's just let Aaron Rodgers, let's just see what he can do. And Rodgers has had a career that, and it's not easy to do, and he deserves a ton of credit in this regard. To follow a legend is really difficult. And it's a really hard thing to do. And to do so and 
not make people forget the legend, but to soften that blow is a ton of pressure. And Aaron Rodgers, to his credit, did exactly that. And owned that town. But then there's always drama around him. And, and at first when he came into the league, it was, you know, he's had, he doesn't talk to his brother. He doesn't talk to his family. You know, family dynamics are always interesting and those are personal. I understand. So you don't get overly involved in scrutinizing that kind of a thing until it starts to become a pattern elsewhere. Then, I mean, he's been engaged on a handful of occasions and never married. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and throw stones at that. I mean, but it is like it is odd how all of these breakups would happen from you know one to the next to the next. Again, not in a vacuum. That's not unusual. When you start adding it all up, it's like, man, what is going on? And then you look at with his team and this every single year narrative of well I'm going to you know take time off and figure out what I want to do you're under contract yeah that's just what ne- like like I don't get it because he's under a contract like why did he sign a multi-year contract if he's going to do this after every year and why do people just assume that he's the one driving the bus because I think well, I, I can tell you why he does it. It's because he likes the attention. And he'll, and he'll say he'll go on Pat McAfee's show and say, I don't know why everyone's obsessed with me. Why is Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport reporting on me? They don't know anything about me. It's like, dude, you won't keep yourself out of the news cycle. Like, I'm going on this darkness retreat. I did ayahuasca. This is the, like it's all this stuff where he claims he doesn't want the attention, but he starves for the attention. And that's the problem, is that he he's going down the exact same path that that Brett Favre did. So he might have resented Brett Favre for kind of giving him, you know, the business back when he first got in the league and taken forever to get out of get out of the Packers and hand him the reins. He's doing the exact same thing to Jordan Love. I mean, he's under contract, yet he's complaining, like, oh, maybe I'll go somewhere else. Oh, I was at the Pro-Am, and I was talking with fans to see which team I should go play for next year. Like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're under contract. It is, it's exhausting. It, it and I, exhausting. I know I'm a Bears fan, and I've got that bias in me. I haven't liked Aaron Rodgers since the beginning. Brett Favre, I at least respected. Aaron Rodgers, I just think he's a complete egomaniac. And I just think, if I'm a Packers fan, I'm just like, can you just go now? Are we done with this? It's hard to argue that. I mean, it is, at some point it becomes detrimental to your franchise. And here's the thing. Do we know yet? Well, I I shouldn't say yet. So I'm asking this somewhat rhetorically. Do we know that he's the same player that he was Five years ago? I mean, how old is Aaron Rodgers? He's 39. Uh, he's starting to show it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Devontae Adams left, and then, yes, you could say that he had a bunch of younger wide receivers this last season, so he's getting used to that. But he also didn't do any off-season work with them. He didn't get together with them and do some sessions on the side and try to get some kind of rapport going with them. So it's kind of like you made your bed in that respect because you're like oh i didn't work with you know so and so i want to keep bringing randall cobb you know back on one-year contracts and this and that so i mean it's just i don't know i am exhausted by it like i I can't even imagine what packers fans are going through because it's 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 like what the third fourth season in a row now where he's like will i or won't i play i mean i mean at some point you have to say look man we're we're done dealing with it right i think the packers might be getting to that point if you're the packers you know every single year that that's going to be your offseason. Eventually, you're like, yeah, we're not going through it again. And the play- players are wondering, and your free agency. I mean, all of it's impacted. 
all of it. It's just tired, man. Yeah, it's, it's exhausting. But I will say that I was intrigued by that uh, dark retreat, though. It's just a, a cave, right? Yeah, it was like a cave in, you know, the middle of the Oregon wilderness or whatever. And I saw some pictures online. It, it looked pretty, but I'm not spending four days in complete darkness with my own thoughts. Now, so what do you do? You just sit and can you imagine? Here's the thing. There is a business, Mark. We're in the wrong business, right? I don't know. Think about this. It's like the pet rock all over again. There's a business out there. There are two guys in Oregon that said to themselves, you know what we should do? Let's just buy like a yard and dig a hole and put like a mattress and a fan down there and then tell people that it's a retreat where you can go and just sit in the hole and collect your thoughts and we'll pump in like some eucalyptus scent and we'll charge people 10 grand for three days and tell them that it cleanses their mind. And then we'll just hire somebody that is a guru to talk about it and we'll have Paris Hilton endorse them. Sit back and cash cow count it, baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not too bad. Put Throw a couple TikToks out and you're good to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. And then Aaron, yeah. but would you mess with people too? Like if you're like, this guy's a jerk. What if I just like, he's supposed to be there for four days. What if I do like a week? He won't know. How would he know? <laughs> yeah. He's got no concept of time. Yeah, but you got to recycle that baby because you got another person that's waiting there on day five. Hey, Aaron, get out of here. That's right. It's like Groundhog Day, right? Uh, Alan Carpet, going to join us at 745. Coming back, we'll get you caught up on what all, what all took place last night in the world of sports. Plenty to talk about. A lot of focus on IU and Purdue round two in Mackey. That game tomorrow night. It's a Friday morning. Good morning to you. Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Last night at the Fieldhouse. Pacers coming back from the All-Star break. Tyrese Halliburton, of course, spent his time in Salt Lake City. I thought he was a little forceful towards the end of the game, not to take away from what was a fine performance for him with 22 and 14 assists. But the big story of the night, even though the Pacers lost 142-138 in overtime to the Celtics, was that of Miles Turner. 40 points, 10 rebounds, 8 of 10 from the three-point line. Big night for Miles Turner, and part of it was exactly what Kevin Pritchard at the beginning of the year said he wanted to see more of out of his big man, consistent shooting, Miles Turner, on his shooting touch. I mean, I just think just being aggressive, you know, I think the um, the threes were presenting itself the most tonight, and um, I was just making the most of my opportunities, and, uh, you know, my guys were getting me the balls in the right spot, and, you know, fortunately for me, it was a, it was a great shooting night. Pacers now on the road for four in a row, starting 
uh, tomorrow night in Orlando, then at Dallas, at San Antonio, and at Chicago. Mark, if you could make a trip to one of those four cities to be able to spend two days, which would you pick? Give me San Antonio. Yeah, it's not bad. Not a bad call. Mm-hmm. Have you been there? Yeah. Done the nice. river walk? Uh-huh. Like the river walk very much. After you do the river walk for like a couple hours, though, you're kind of like, wait a minute, I think we just walked past that place again. Yeah, I, I had that. We went at night, and I was like, well, I think I've seen that Mexican <laughs> restaurant before. I think we've done that a few times. Yeah, it does kind of does kind of move around. Other winners, by the way, in the association last night. Nuggets over the Cavs, 115-109. Orlando over Detroit, 108-106. You kind of start to look towards teams like that to see where Indiana might fall in terms of the draft lottery odds. Philly, Toronto, Dallas, Utah, the Lakers, and the Kings, all winners last night. By the way, Domas Savonis, 18 points, 18 rebounds, 10 assists, triple-double last night for Sacto. Kyle Chubbs, the IUPUI Jaguars, snapped their four-game losing streak, topping Robert Morris, five-on-five in that game, 81-75. to Tennessee Tech over Southern Indiana, 82-79. And then Milwaukee topped uh, Purdue-Fort Wayne, 95-94. Of course, IU-Purdue tomorrow at... Uh, West Lafayette. Uh, also in college basketball, only because I mentioned it yesterday, and I'll do it again because a lot of people were like, hey, you know what? I appreciate it. Because let's not forget, there are those that live in the area that went to schools other than just IU, Purdue, Butler, etc. Marion and Grace in the Crossroads League semifinals. That game taking place at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Then at 3 o'clock, it is Taylor and Huntington in that league. Uh, around the NFL, Bubba Ventrone officially has left the Colts and taken the special teams coordinator that job. That sound you heard was him on 56th Street. Can we hear that sound again? This is that's him speeding out of there. Yep. Oh. So he's gone. The Colts will have to look for a new special teams coordinator. They also still need to get an offensive line coach with Chris Strausser heading to Houston. The XFL, the Battle Hawks, won on Thursday night, <laughs> beating the Sea Dragons twenty to eighteen. We're not grasping at all, right? I know. You uh, watched it though, right? I watched it a little bit. The Sea Dragons jerseys weren't bad. I thought they were going to be bright green. They're nah, like man. an orange. Nah, that, that's not it, dude. But yeah, I, I thought mean, I, you made it seem like they were going to be green. I'll be, I'll be Randy Jackson here. They looked like Jack Lantern. That's not it, dog. No. They have you seen their home ones? No. weren't they at home? They were at home yesterday, wasn't that the home jerseys? Was it, were they at home? I didn't see the game. They 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 have picked orange and puke green as their colors. It, it's too much, man. I'm looking up their uniforms. Just go standard. Like teams need to realize, just go standard navy. You know, regular like a dark, like a forest green. Gotta have this. You have to red separate silver. yourself from the group. There's though. like six colors that really truly work in color schemes in sports. I thought they kind of looked like the Broncos. I jerseys. mean, d- didn't we all learn from the early to mid '90s purple fuchsia craze? Craze. I mean, the Detroit Pistons when they went with that like. Fuchsia green, and and then the the Raptors went with the purple and silver. Didn't we all f- the, the everybody figured out after a while like this sucks, right? You're currently listing my favorite jerseys in sports. <laughs> well, you were how old at the time? Five. That's why. I mean, seriously, the Sea Dragon home like jerseys. Me, I mean, my bias is towards you know the the Houston Oilers. The I mean, I loved the old Seahawks logos. You know, the silver and blue, just like clean. Think of the Broncos home jerseys. That's what the Sea Dragons home jerseys look like. They're like an orange. That's not, they're not bad. Okay. They're not the best, but they're not and the worst. And by the worst. way, Sam, I didn't mean that as a slight. I mean, I do think that the when it comes to sports, there is a nostalgia to it, right? So, like, whatever was big for most people, like, in their element, like, when they first get introduced to sports, that's what you kind of always long on to because right. – 
You know what I mean? Like when I was, you know, from a baseball standpoint, when I was five, the, the you know, that's when the Royals, or excuse me, the Phillies were wearing the, the baby blues and the maroon. And I've always thought that was a cool look, but I, I realize like red and white are really their colors. But, I, you know, I'm nostalgic towards that maroon and baby blue because that's what I saw with Steve Carlton and Pete Rose and Mike Schmidt. I, I feel like every Phillies fan has, has the powder blues in, in Well, because they've never totally gone away from them, right? right? I mean, right. They, they still bring them back from time to time. That's the one thing from the Colts' standpoint that one of the weird aspects of the Colts' franchise, and there's a there is a very cool aspect to it, and then there's a frustrating aspect to it, is they, they don't really have any identity of the Indianapolis Colts. The only thing from a, a logo and uniform standpoint that separates the Indianapolis from Baltimore Colts is in the early years when they wore the gray pants with the horseshoe on the hip and the number in the middle of it. But they were terrible. I mean, they were so bad that the franchise is like, yeah, we ain't, we're not doing that again. Yeah, it is funny how when they have to do like when they do like throwbacks or something, they're really kind of grasping at straws as to what exactly they can throw out there or whatever alternate jerseys. They have. They don't really have the selection other teams have. Turning back to baseball, do you guys remember the MLB turn of the century jerseys, the jerseys of the future that they wore at like ninety nine, two thousand? It was. It was. I'm not gonna lie. I don't really. Oh, you gotta look them up. Everybody ragged on them for the time, and it was these jerseys that essentially, like, the entire jersey was a piece of art. Like the Pirates put their entire logo over the chest, and then they had a battleship on the back. Everybody nagged on them for the time, but I think they're some of the best jerseys that have ever been. Did they made. ever bring them back? Uh, I think last season a couple of teams wore them as throwbacks, like the Padres. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays one is probably the best one out there. The, the Rays, man. They, they've Actually, the current Rays are okay, but they've gone through some. The, here's what I have always said, and Alan Carpenter's going to join us in 10 minutes, by the way, and we're actually going to talk legitimate current-day sports. But um, – I've said this before, and I will repeat it. The more your franchise changes its color scheme and logo, the less successful you clearly are. In baseball, who's the who's the most successful franchise in baseball? I mean, Yankees. Of course. How many times they change their uniforms in the last 75 years? Zero. Right. The Rays have been really good, though. Uh, they they have. The, the Diamondbacks, I mean, are the Diamondbacks. Let me rephrase that. When you don't have a lot of, like, legacy and heritage and fan base. You're con- like the Padres. You ever meet anybody? It's like I'm a diehard Padres fan. The Padres, the Diamondbacks, they're constantly changing. They're constantly coming out with something new. You know who doesn't do that? The teams that have long-standing history and loyalty of fan base and tradition underneath them. The Dodgers. The Dodgers have the same uniforms they've had forever. The Cubs have had the same uniform forever. The Reds started screwing around and changing stuff up, and they've sucked ever since. It's karma. It's uniform karma. Alan Carpick joining us in 10 minutes. Indiana, Purdue, tomorrow night. It's 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. It's interesting when you look at tomorrow night's Indiana, Purdue game in West Lafayette. You could make a compelling case as to, you know, somebody sent me a thing and said, this game is not as interesting as it was 10 days ago. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Because both teams, I think, and we'll talk to Alan Karpik about this in just a couple of minutes, but, Mark, it feels to me like both teams coming into it. I mean, look, they both lost two of three. 
Purdue, there is a difference between being on that one line and that two line. And the good news for Purdue, I guess, is that there's no clear definitive, like, there's not a, a two seed that's really surging where you're like, whoa, you better be careful. I mean, yeah. they've managed to kind of stick around that one seed line. But for Indiana, and I did see somebody say, like, look, I don't want to fall into that five range because we always see a 5-12 upset. The the challenge with that 12 seed, if you're a five seed, is you usually a 12 seed is one of two teams. It's either a mid-major that has compiled a ton of wins but hasn't played the level of schedule strength where they're getting held back a little bit as a result of that. And so you get like 29-4 and four Murray State or something like that as a 12 seed, yeah. and that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Or you get a team out of a big conference – that has had some nice wins, but some bad losses as well. Like a, I mean, this is not a case this year because they're pretty good, but like a Texas A&M or, you know, some SEC school that's 17 and 13 and they're a 12 seed. So, so you know, they're, they're competent, right? It's just a dangerous area to get into. And Indiana, I think, is probably flirting right now. I, I You know, they were on the four line. And now maybe falling back a little bit to the five. They want to get this. This win would really help Indiana, I think, secure themselves of not going certainly lower than a five seed. But I think what they want to do is try to lock in in the top four seed, and that's still in play for them. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it, I, I I don't I disagree that people are saying that this game isn't as big. So, like you said, both teams have struggled a little bit. Their backs are against the wall as we're getting to the end of the regular season. So, I I what, I know you've said for a few weeks now that you think Purdue's going to win pretty handily. points. Yeah. You still sticking with that? Has anything changed in the last couple games that have made you change that prediction? No, I think for, for Indiana, the, the real key is, you know, Jalen hood Shafino and how he plays, he's obviously an elite-level player. But he's been an elite-level player at times at home. He's been an inconsistent one on the road. And, you know, it for me, he is the key from an Indiana standpoint. And they've got to start getting him an opportunity. They've got to start getting him uncorked away from Assembly Hall. And, you know, this is a, a big test for it. I mean, there, there's a lot to, to see where each team, where they are, based on the things that hurt them losing coming into this game does that make sense yeah and their losses they've had coming into this game makes perfect sense and uh, we'll get a little more iu talk in the nine o'clock hour and the voice of the hoosiers don fisher joins us right now we're going to talk a little purdue and we're going to turn to alan carpet who's a member of the on three network and the present publisher of goldandblack.com he joins us now on the payless liquors hotline good morning alan how are you doing this morning good morning guys uh, thanks for having me on and uh, yeah, there's a lot of anticipation for that game tomorrow night in Mackey Arena. So is it uh, – uh, we've been talking about this most of the week. Uh, Purdue obviously has not had a game in about a week leading into this IU game. Is that a good or bad thing that they've had a week off between games? Uh, I think for Purdue it's a good thing. Um, two reasons. One, they, they did play well for the most part against Ohio State. Kind of got themselves – I understand where Ohio State is in the standings, but got them at least feeling a little bit better about themselves after the Maryland loss. But also, uh, you know, I think every team right now is, uh, you know, the way the Big Ten schedule is condensed with 20 conference game, 
games and the way that uh, they go at each other, it's just good. And it's actually good even after Saturday night that Purdue doesn't play again for five more days before they go to Wisconsin on Thursday night. So, yeah, I, I think Purdue looks at this as a net, of net positive in terms of, uh, you know, they're only, they've lost three of their last five games. And, uh, yes, they righted the ship a little bit against Ohio State, but with Indiana coming in, I think they want to be as fresh as possible. Alan, I'm going to play with you a quick version of fact or fiction, okay? <laughs> Sounds so good, Jeff. I'm going to make a statement, and you tell me if it's fact or fiction. And my statement is this. While they are heated rivals of one another, Indiana and Purdue share one thing in common, and that is that they have elite-level play from elite players under the basket, and Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis, obviously. However, that's not what makes them go. What makes them go and puts them to the next level is trying to find consistency in backcourt play, and that's the biggest question mark for both teams, fact or fiction. I would say, and I can't speak, obviously, obviously a lot of Indiana basketball this year. Certainly, uh, Jalen Hutchifino has been great. Uh, yeah, I would say that's fact, uh, and I would say that uh, that is, and it's not a knock on, on Lawyer and Smith by any stretch. It just means that if you look at the Big Ten, look at look at Northwestern, even though they lost a big lead last night and ended up uh, paving the way for Purdue to get a share of the Big Ten championship if it wins on Saturday night. And my point is they've got really good guard play. Purdue has good guard play. Is it going to be physical enough? Is it going to be consistent enough when the lights come on in the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, is a legitimate question. So I think that's fact. Now, the question for me, Alan, would be this, and that is with Lawyer and Smith, and we, you know, we talked about it, obviously, over the course of the beginning of the year, you know, hey, Freshman guards are freshman guards. Maybe that doesn't mean as much in today's college basketball as it did 25 years ago because it's more common to get freshmen that are playing big minutes. But to me, it's probably less about if you look at like inconsistency, let's say from lawyer, from a scoring standpoint, maybe it's less about lawyer and more about teams figuring out just how to guard them differently and saying, you know what, this Edie guy, there's not much we can do here. Let's, let's, start to cut things off in other areas. Are they being guarded differently in the backcourt than they were six weeks ago? Well, I think I think that's true. I think that's, that goes without, not necessarily goes without saying, but it's the reality of the Big Ten. It's the familiarity, brief contempt. They, all, all these coaches know exactly what to do. And there, there were certainly uh, signs of ways to deal with with Zach Eady uh, and the physical nature of what uh, opposing guards have done against Braden Smith and uh, Fletcher Lawyer has been a storyline. And that's not that I'm saying that that's the physical nature of the Big Ten. And Purdue's got to learn to, those guys, especially, especially lawyers, going to have to learn to, they're not going to call those fouls. He's a freshman in this league. Uh, and I think that uh, if he was a junior or senior, maybe he'd build up enough equity to get some of those calls. He's getting physically uh Dealt with it in a nice word, nice words uh, on the front end. I'm sure Indiana will try to do some of that as well. You know, you look back at the first game between the two teams, and, and Moyer and Smith combined for a five for twenty from the field. Uh, those guys uh, need to be all, both not only capable of handling the basketball, but being offensive threats. So, yeah, I think the scouting, you know, the formula is there to be Purdue, but but. The, but also Fletcher Lawyer has been pretty damn good in his freshman year. So, uh, you know, I anticipate that he's going to, as time continues to evolve, he's going to continue to evolve as a player and, and, and do the things that they need him to do to be at that level that Purdue wants to be at. 
Alan Karpik of GoldenBlack.com, part of the On3 Network, joining us on Kevin and Query this morning. Uh, Mason Gillis got the nod over Caleb first in the Ohio State game doing an illness. Uh, Mason Gillis also had a season high in rebounds in that game. Is Are they going to roll with Mason Gillis again in the starting lineup tomorrow, or are they going to go back I, to Caleb yeah. first? I would think that uh, that Gillis will be in the lineup again tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, I would expect that to be. I don't know that it matters that much, except for that Gillis has done, you know, with the 29-point outburst against Penn State, uh, he has shown a little bit more of an ability to shoot the basketball uh, from a consistent standpoint. I mean, they're just different players. Uh, you know, Matt Painter, and it's a luxury to have. You've got nine guys that you can go a lot of different ways and play the hot hand, and for the most part this year. Yes, I understand the last five games haven't been the best for Purdue, but uh, this is a team that's had some interchangeable parts. And when uh, when Dave, you know David Jenkins has come off the bench and given really good minutes from time to time, uh, even Brandon Newman has as well. And Trey Kaufman Wren is becoming uh, more confident and is doing a, doing more uh, as a backup to Zach Eady and also sometimes as a, as a backup four. So. Uh, yeah, that, that, I would anticipate that you're going to see Gillis just because Gillis is, uh, has been doing the job in a lot of different ways. And, and and there's some general feeling that first is maybe a little bit more comfortable coming off the bench. Alan, I have – you touched on something that is really intriguing to me. Trey Kaufman-Wren, we have seen, obviously, in some games – the reason that he was such a touted player coming in and his skill set to be a guy who, quite frankly, probably can, if necessity was there for it, contribute, you know, more minutes, more points, etc. I've been very impressed by his desire to kind of, you know, to redshirt out and then to, to be situational. But is Purdue, as they, as they continue to try to navigate the role of Trey Kaufman-Wren, in today's college basketball – are they like? Is there a window of time that they've got to figure it out before then all of a sudden it becomes what do they do with him? And I don't mean that as a knock on him. I could see him saying, "Hey, I could go somewhere else and get a lot of minutes." And that's that's today's college basketball. Sure. What is it about him that allows them that flexibility? Well, I think he's shown that uh, he, you know, he's he's contributing. He has become more of a back to the basket type guy, and and though he can be on the court, I think you're going to see more of that in time. But when you have Zach Eady in an offense that's to some extent predicated on getting the ball inside consistently. Uh, I think you got to give the guy, which which he's a lot of credit from Trey Kaufman Wren, that is, for doing what he needs to do to contribute. I, I think he's going to see his his game elevate uh, next year and years beyond whether Zach Eady is in a pretty uniform or not. Uh, you know, you never know in today's transfer portal world what would happen, what can happen, and what guys want to do. But uh, I think he's been very committed to taking the longer road to this. Obviously, he read here last year. He had injuries as well, but there wasn't any room at the end last year for Trey Kaufman run to get significant minutes. And even this year, it's not been as much as I'm sure he would like. But you're playing behind Zach Eady. But I, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they work him also into the four spot some, which we have seen Edie and Kaufman Wren maybe play a little bit more together. That's possible. Depends a little bit on the production of Caleb first as well. So all those factors make for a lot of intrigue, but I think it's a good if you're it's a good problem if you're a Purdue fan and a Purdue coach and Matt Painter to have is you've got a guy that's really playing much better getting more confidence, and whether he's playing 10 to 12 minutes, uh, and that's typically the case, he's been coming in and contributing consistently of late, 
And that's uh, been a big plus for Purdue. After losing back-to-back games for the first time, Purdue then bounces back and gets really the medicine they need with a big win over Ohio State. And I know Ohio State's down. Having said that, what did they do differently, or was there anything that you felt like you saw, Allen, in the Ohio State win that kind of let you take a sigh of relief after the two losses to Maryland and Northwestern going into it where you said, okay, that's an area that they did kind of shore things up? Other than simply well, think, playing a bad team, well, I, you know, and two things. One, Ohio State, uh, yes, Ohio State has really struggled. And really, that struggle started uh, when Purdue beat them in a game they probably shouldn't have won in Columbus on January fifth. Uh, that certainly started part of the Buckeyes spiral down. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing maybe is was the turnovers, taking care of the basketball. Purdue is so dominant on the offensive glass, or can be, should be. And when you turn the ball over, that's what killed them against Indiana in the first half. When you're down 15 in the game three weeks ago, you know, Indiana turned it into a run-out dunk show in the first half. And that was because Purdue couldn't, couldn't hang on to the basketball. Well, against Ohio State, they only had, they had 11 turnovers officially, but a couple of them came in and mop up time. Uh, and they had two or three turnovers in the early part of the game, but they went through for about 35 minutes with about five turnovers. Purdue just needs to get the shots up, let Zach Eady and, and Caleb first and others on the offensive boards go get to the best offensive rebounding or with the top two or three offensive rebounding teams in the country. And they just need to go and do the job in there. And that's, I think, is the big factor. And that starts with not having 15 and 16 turnovers, which is what happened in those three uh, in that streak of three losses in five games. Alan Carpet joining us for another couple minutes here on Kevin and Query. With all that said, Alan, what do you expect to see uh, tomorrow at night at, uh, in West Lafayette? Well, I, I think it certainly is, you know, obviously with Northwestern's loss last night, boy, the Wildcats had a huge lead in that game, as you guys have talked about, and, and let it go. Um, you know, I just think it comes down to it's going to be a lot of emotion uh, in that building. Heck, tickets are going for stump up for over a grand each in, in the lower arena for tomorrow, and that's craziness. Um, so it's going to be a re- you know Purdue Indiana. You don't need anything else, but when you have a Big Ten, a potential Big Ten championship on the line, uh, there's a lot of motivation. There's motivation for Indiana too. Indiana obviously would love to sweep Purdue in a year that Purdue's probably still going to win the Big Ten. Uh, even if Indiana wins tomorrow night, but uh, I think it'll be a very competitive game. That's uh, and I think it'll be a case of, you know, and I don't know, and I don't follow Indiana on a night in night out basis, but it seems to me a lot of it, like you talked about earlier, comes down to, you know, the guard play and does Jalen Hood Shafino play like a like a guy that's going to be playing in the NBA before long, or does he struggle like he has to some extent on the road? Is it going to be the IU team that played at Illinois? Uh, is it or is it going to be an IU team that struggled at uh, Penn State and Maryland? Though that's what's going to be the going to be the storyline. It will be a jacked up environment in in uh, Macarena as it was in Assembly Hall three weeks ago. Uh, that's just the nature of this rivalry. Alan, the team that has the blue and by team I mean a a team that does what has the blueprint that could give Purdue fits in the tournament. I, I think it's a team that can force Purdue into mistakes in the backcourt. Um, you know, shooting is shooting, and Purdue, every team's going to have some some uh, off nights. But if Purdue cannot get the ball consistently into Edie and and they force Purdue to be careless with the basketball, I think that's that could be Purdue's Achilles' heel. That, that's it for a lot of teams. I just think that there's 
there isn't a, there's so much parity in the country this year. There's no great teams. Yes, Purdue's been number one for a good period of time, uh, but uh, they are one of the uh, certainly an upper echelon team. But I think the amazing thing about the tournament is going to be those one eight games. You know what happens if Purdue plays Kentucky in the first in the second round, or excuse me, it would be the third round actually in the in the NCAA tournament. I mean those types of games where your guards have to be really good, and Purdue's guards have been good this year. Now, I'm not saying they haven't. I'm just saying that that's going to be at a premium. I, I think Zach Eady is pretty much a known quantity of what he's going to do. Uh, yes, teams will double-team him, though, that type of thing may limit his production, but he's such a dominant force. And that really hasn't changed in very many games this year, but it's going to come down to great guard play. And can you make shots? I mean, that's stating the obvious, but can Purdue make shots? You know, Mason Gillis, uh, David Jenkins Jr.'s guys that have been had hot streaks from three. You know, you do that, and Purdue's going to be a really hard out for just about anybody. On three dot com is where you can read Alan's work. Alan, it's early, so I appreciate you getting up early with us. Always good stuff, and look forward to talking to you again. All right, guys, have a great rest of the show, and uh, we'll look forward to. You know, I'm sure <laughs> the rest of the season goes on. There's going to be a lot of talk about uh, Purdue and Indiana basketball, and that's a good thing. That is very fair to state, Alan. Absolutely appreciate it. Alan Karpik on the Payless Liquors Hotline. When we come back, we switch from the college level to the high school level, amongst other things at Greg Rakestraw, who yesterday you heard on these airwaves in the midday show. He will join us coming up here at the top of the hour on a Friday edition of Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. clock hour underway i'd like to say hello to matt this morning who sent a tweet saying clearly kevin bowen's the glue to the morning show i probably don't disagree with that right yeah i mean he's the glue because if he's not here then we're just the two rubber bands that bounce off of each other and he was the he was the guy that was here first right he was yeah fair statement Uh uh-huh um joining us now on the payless sugars hotline a guy that's been on this program many times and you are very familiar with his voice, Greg Rakestraw, who this weekend, Greg, I want to begin with this. It's the IHSAA championship weekend for girls basketball. And I think sometimes that we, and I want your your thoughts on this. I think sometimes when it comes to high school sports, we get very swept up in like legendary players and simply like what teams have been dominant. And we lose sight sometimes of, of what I think it really all means. And I made reference to this story earlier in the week 
But when I look at Fishers, who's going to take on Bedford North Lawrence, our friend Scott Long, who you know as well, who's been on this radio mm-hmm. show, you know, Scott's daughter Maddie is a special needs student who has kind of be you know, she's been a, a manager and helped out with the girls' basketball team. And the girls on that team have absolutely taken her under her wing. And she does a dance, you know, to the pep band before and after each game and has really just kind of blossomed, I think. I don't know her well, but I follow the journey via Scott on social media. And she's just blossomed by getting a confidence and an identity from the the girls. And their success as a team has given her, you know, like this purpose that she's proud of. And, And I think, you know, that's actually what it's all about. As much as it's about at this level, kids winning a ring. It's about the other kids and the people that are able to then feel good about themselves. And I think also with your hometown of Lanesville, this has to be for you a a matter of a personal identity because you understand what it might mean for a town that has gone through some struggles to be able to have something to, to, to push their chest out about. Does that make sense on both counts? Sure. I mean, so first of all, on, on Maddie's story, and, and just like you, Scott and I are friends, and obviously Scott and I both have children on the autism spectrum, so this, you know, truly resonates with me. Um, you know, Lauren Votaw, the head coach at Fishers, the fact that, you know, she was so willing to have Maddie be a part of her program is is just so cool and is just so special. And, yes, you know, Scott and Susan are get to have experiences as parents that when you have a child with autism, you're not sure you're going to have. And so for as wonderful as this is for Maddie, because of my life experiences, I'm thinking of mom and dad. And the fact that they too get to have this moment that, again, when you realize your child is diagnosed with autism or has whatever special need of the multitudes you could have, you know, your first thought is always the care and concern of your son or daughter. But then it hits you at some point in time, you know, I'm not going to get to have these other experiences because my kid may not get to have that experience. And so that strikes me, and it's all because of the generosity and openness. Everything you said about her teammates is absolutely spot on. But it's the head coach that gave the opportunity. And so the fact that Lauren did that, you know, she will forever be cool in my book, regardless of what she does. And she's an outstanding coach. But the fact that she opened the door for that has, has made all of this possible. Now, secondarily, uh, on to the fact that my hometown is all leaving at some point today to come to Indianapolis to get a hotel room. And uh, I'm sure there will be a line outside Gamebridge Field House about 8 or 8.30 tomorrow morning, and there will be a purple stampede at 9.30 when the doors open. Get everybody in the building to soak up as much of that energy and atmosphere and moment as possible. So I am so fortunate. I have now broadcast over 200 IHSAA state championship games, and three of them have involved Lanesville. Uh, the baseball team runners-up in 2016, 1A champs in 2017. I literally just started doing softball right after Lanesville made it their other state finals trip, which was back in 2006. And the line that I have used a, a great deal this week You know, when I was in school, I graduated three years before class sports started, and we got beat by New Albany. 
literally there's a guy that played all three sports that that beat us that that I literally I'm standing on first base talking to my last baseball game and probably can't use the language I said with a smile on my face um, that I did to Steve Stemley back then. Um, but but the idea of having a state championship is kind of like when Norman Dale talks about the state championship at Hoosiers. It's kind of like me and you going to the moon. You know, we didn't dream about winning a state championship in Lanes. We dreamed about winning a sectional. When I graduated high school, we had three sectional championships combined in the history of the school. One in cross country, one in baseball, and, and one in, in, in boys tennis. And now we're competing for a second state championship. The girls basketball team has won five consecutive sectionals to get to this point. So it's, it's otherworldly to me that I get to go to these state finals on a regular basis, but that like all of my family, I've got four relatives that play on the team. And so uh, I, I will, I will um, you know, give people a heads up as to what my social media plan is for tomorrow. At some point before I go on the air, I rarely take selfies. I'm going to take one right in front of the Lanesville section and try to get as much of it as I can. I'm going to label it as family picture because I have so looked forward to this moment because, uh, I, I, again, I, it just wasn't something on my radar that could actually happen when I began my broadcasting career. How many people live in Lanesville? Population is about seven or 800. Uh, the school has almost doubled in size uh, since I graduated. So I was a class of 29, and the enrollment at the high school was about 140 at the time. Now the average class size is 60 to 70, uh, and the enrollment's kind of 240 to 250. And the crazy thing is, is that with the population growth down there, um, at some point soon, we may actually kind of grow ourselves out of class A. Lanesville is a single township school, and the comparison that I make, it's not as big as this school corporation, which is a couple of townships, but the comparison I make here is Lanesville is akin to Monrovia. In other words, if you're coming from the west, it's the last small town you get to before you get to the suburbs and the big city. Same thing is, what's, what's directly east of Lanesville is Floyd Central in New Albany, and a lot of folks that, that live in Lanesville work in Louisville. It's a 25-minute drive at most to get to downtown. So the suburbs are catching up, and that's part of the reason why the athletic success has gone up at Lanesville High School, because the community is so much bigger than it was when I lived there 30 years ago. Okay, <clears throat> there is one school, Greg, that is playing this weekend in the girls' high school basketball finals that I don't know that I've ever heard of. <laughs> Which school is it? Uh, I would assume Bethany Christian is the one you're referencing. No, I know Bethany Christian. <clears throat> you okay. got another guess? So the other one would be the other would be Fairfield, then correct? <laughs> correct. What, I know the hotel, but uh, <laughs> tell me where is Fairfield? The Falcons who are taking on Court and Central. So, remarkably, the, the 1A and 3A stories are amazingly similar. Fairfield and Bethany Christian are five miles apart from each other. Lanesville and Corden are eight miles apart from each other. So, the 1A and 3A games will be contested by a set of next-door neighbors. Fairfield has been kind of on that enrollment bump between 2A and 3A. So, Fairfield made a deep run in 2A last year didn't go up on the success factor, went up on enrollment. So their enrollment would be upper 500s, is about 575 is kind of the 2A, 3A cutoff at this point. Fairfield's had some volleyball success in the past. They've had, a, they've had some good basketball teams, and they got to this point by knocking off an undefeated Twin Lakes team in the semi-state last weekend. 
All right, fair enough. I'm looking at it right here. Yep. Gary Cannon, the superintendent, is very excited about Fairfield getting in. So <laughs> what do you know? I thought it was a hotel. Greg, we got a big one in college basketball tomorrow with IU taking on Purdue. You think IU's hit a wall lately with their loss to Michigan State and Trace Jackson Davis kind of struggling? Or how do you see this one playing out tomorrow in Les Lafayette? This is called schedule. Um, I think Indiana would have beaten Michigan State had that game been contested under normal circumstances. There are certain things that happen in life, and when you are the first team to have to go to Michigan State and play a game after what happened on that campus early last week, you're not going to win that basketball game. That was an emotional buzzsaw that IU ran into. So, yeah, there were things that, that Trace could have done better, the team could have done better, you were not going to win that game at Michigan State. I'm not sure they're going to win the game at Purdue tomorrow either. Um, Jake's got them because, losing by 15. Purdue by 15 tomorrow. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I was going to be that, but but knowing that how good Purdue has been, and I know Purdue has not been playing as well, but given the fact that Purdue's been thinking about this for the last three weeks, and knowing they lost at Indiana, the return date, um, I kind of like the Boilers' chances tomorrow. What I will say is this. For as great as it is that those two teams are nationally relevant playing each other, because we have had that in such short supply over the last 25 years, I'm, I'm not overly concerned about how tomorrow's game plays out. And that's not anti-IU, anti-Purdue. We have just hit the point of the season where I kind of know what these teams are, and now I want to see what they can do in March. Well, I think, because Greg, me, the- the storyline to me for Indiana and Purdue both, if you had to come up with one, because I, I tend to agree with you, you know, we got a pretty good idea who these teams are, even though both have lost two or three coming in. I think it, it it feels like they have both done a really good job of building a resume to this point to put them in good position. Now they want to simply make sure they don't backpedal too much and fall sure. off of the line of seating of which they've cemented themselves. And I do think that Purdue is still – Despite losing two of three, they are still on the one-seed line, but they're at risk of perhaps sliding down to a two. And in Indiana's case, I think Indiana's pretty firmly in that four or five area. They just don't want to slide all the way back to a six. You got it. I mean, at, at the very high end, Indiana, they run the table, gets to a three. On the bottom end, they're a six. Purdue's a one-seed, maybe a two. Yes, there's a difference in being a one-seed or a two, um, but – just because of the of the, I wouldn't even say recent history, um, you know, for Indiana, but of their lack of tournament success, to me, everything is about getting to the second weekend and then take it from there. Let's go see what you can do. And everything for Purdue is getting to the second weekend and getting past that, you know, getting past that Sweet 16, getting to a Final Four. And again, I'm not sure we thought that was possible with this group when the season started. But then you're ranked number one for as many weeks as they were. It, it tends to be Final Four or bust. So it's kind of why, yes, it's great that these rivals are playing each other on February the 25th. I know Mackey's going to be packed. I know it's going to be crazy. But at the same time, I'm much more concerned, you know, with are these teams playing on March 25th than how they are playing on February the 25th. Ball State going to make the NCAA tournament, Rick? If they win the Mid-American Conference, um, it's the same thing with Indiana State. You know, there are so few opportunities for low-to-mid majors to not have to win their conference tournament and make it to the NCAA field. 
Florida Atlantic would be one of those teams. I think Oral Roberts potentially could be one of those teams. And maybe Charleston is one of those teams this year. But, no, for, for as good of a season as Ball State and Indiana State have had, both at 20 wins, they know they have to win three, three games in three days at their conference tournament to be an NCAA tournament team. And, Ray, it's fascinating because here's Michael Lewis in his first year at Ball State. They've got 20 wins. If they were to eke their way into the tournament and then, can you imagine if they win a tournament game, and I know we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but Ball State, I think everybody knew when Michael Lewis came there that Ball State was probably at some point going to have to start getting creative in ways to to keep him there. But that could come early, as early as like April, right? I mean, depending is, on what they that, do that here. Is the, that is the possible case. And, again, it's a big part of of Michael's background uh, in terms of, you know, when you're in a high-profile program like UCLA, and, frankly, his time at Butler was pretty doggone successful as well as an assistant coach. He's got that experience in a Power 5 program. It's why I think it is possible he could be one and done in Muncie if they go on a run over the course of the next few weeks. And when you talk about coaches that, you know, moving on, we know that that's going to take place with the Colts. Bubba Ventrone on his way out, going to Cleveland. On his way out the wrong way. He he opted to to go to Cleveland. But um, how big is that? I would rather they have kept him. But I still think it's about the players. Um, and, yes, the Colts special teams have been pretty solid and pretty good. You know, the return game has been pretty dynamic. Does Bubba take some credit for that? Absolutely he should. But you also had some guys that were playmakers back there in, in Naheem Hines. Uh, Dallas Flowers has shown to be that guy, you know, the guy out of Pittsburgh State. You know, Ashton Doolin showed some pop uh, when he was in the return game. He's been phenomenal as a gunner. So I would have preferred they kept Bubba Ventrone. Uh, sad to see him go, but I am very much a proponent. It is largely about the guys on the field with that little extra added difference, you know, being the guys wearing, you know, a, a hat, a sweatshirt, or holding a clipboard on the sidelines. Greg Rakestraw joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline on Kevin Query. Rake, I mean, Ventrone was at the Shane Steichen introductory press conference. Uh, do you think? So it's kind of a surprise that he ended up leaving. The departure due to the fact that he didn't get consideration for the interim head coaching job at the time, or is it just because Cleveland's home and home is where the heart is? I have no idea. I, I've had some conversations with Bubba. I wouldn't claim that I, that I know the inner workings of the man. Um, I, I really think that, you know, having played in Cleveland, maybe it's a chance to go back there. Um, I, I can't imagine it's hard feelings of, about not getting the head coaching job, or maybe this move gets announced earlier. And again, it's it's I liken it to, you know, let, let's kind of go take the organizational flow chart in terms of the dominoes that fell in the last six or six or seven weeks. Once you knew that Chris Ballard was going to stay as the general manager, that it needed to be on him to hire the head coach, and largely it was in terms of Shane Steichen. And now once you hire Shane Steichen, what you have to do is say, Shane, go set your staff. So you can't handcuff him and say, hey, you got to keep this guy and that guy and that guy. No, if we, and saying we as the Colts organization, if we believe in you to be the head coach of this team, then you need to set your staff. So to me, it's probably more along the lines of what Shane Steichen wanted to do than say anything else in particular. Five days from now, we will be uh, just down the road at the Indianapolis Convention Center 
for the NFL Scouting Combine. Outside of quarterback, Rake, what is the next position group the Colts should be looking at long and hard with great interest at the Combine? I I think it's got to be wide receiver, Um, just because you need to add more weaponry, obviously, uh, on this offense. The receivers played well to start the season. Nobody played well to end the season. Uh, But it's pretty obvious that, you know, whomever the quarterback is going to be, you have to have more weapons around him. Uh, And so you you love Michael Pittman Jr. You saw flashes from Alec Pierce. Paris Campbell, you're unsure of his status. And then you get my point. You have to be looking at wide receivers. So the second round seemingly has been fruitful for the Colts at wide receiver. Uh, I would imagine they go that direction. In terms of free agency, which is after the combine, but before the draft, you know, I'd love to see maybe a little offensive line boost in terms of free agency. If they do that with a veteran wide receiver, I'm not upset about that either. But specifically for the combine, obviously your focus is those top three or four guys at QB. After that, look at the wide receiver. Greg, that's to me why I agree with you on receiver. To me, there are too many critical positions that need to be plugged to go along with whatever quarterback you bring in that puts them in the pickle of trading up. I, I get the fact of the value of securing that you can get your definitive guy, yep. but if you're still drafting fourth, to me, giving up that second-round pick, if that's part of the cost of moving up three spots, is really, really a heavy price tag because exactly what you say, they need playmakers to go with it. And that's why, again, we, we tend to get lasered on the draft, and I realize the combines here is in our backyard. And, again, when you're picking in the top five, it is a very big deal. I get that. But you can read the tea leaves what the Colts do about two weeks after in terms of free agency. And if there is a potential veteran brought in at wide receiver, and, again, let's, let's kind of put Paris Campbell off the side in terms of a returning free agent team if, if, if he's back or not. But if it's somebody else and you go, okay, there's, there's, there's help at wide receiver, that could be your tip-off to Colts potentially moving that second-round pick. Yeah, I, I I just, man, I know Greg, or Chris Ballard, you know, covets Greg having multiple picks like in that three to five, and I'm with him this year. I, this year I'm, t- I'm saying hold on to the pieces. You, you don't want to yeah. give up pieces, but we'll see what happens. Greg, appreciate the time. Enjoy the week, games this weekend, all right? You got it, fellas. Take care. Uh, it's Greg, Greg Gregstraw on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Time, by the way, for a morning checkdown. Pacers last night at the Fieldhouse. Overtime loss to the Boston Celtics, 142-138. Miles Turner was sensational. 40 points and 10 boards. Tyrese Halliburton had 22 with 14 assists. Did kind of force some shots late, I thought. But uh, overall, pretty good to see Miles Turner get the shooting that basically Indiana has said that they covet from him in terms of his particular role. Uh, One guy that we haven't heard from a lot but has always been kind of a staple and a focal point from the Pacers themselves, T.J. McConnell. Here's T.J. McConnell talking about Miles Turner and Turner's shooting last night. He's unreal Um, on both ends of the floor. He's the best shot blocker in the NBA. Um, And his ability to pick and pop is such a mismatch. And, you know, he hasn't really been the – the starting five since he's been here um, and he's showing how great he really is in that role um, you know by his ability to put pressure on the rim and you know when teams switch he, he can shoot over guys and 
Um, he has that little mid-range. He can score from three levels. So, And then what he does defensively speaks for itself. He's just a really good player. Again, uh, Turner last night, 8-10 to 10 from three-point range. Pacers now on the road. They got four in a row beginning in Orlando. That coming up tomorrow night. Elsewhere in the NBA last night, Denver, Orlando, the Sixers, the Raptors, the Mavs, the Jazz, the Lakers, and Sacramento all get wins. The Kings 133-116 over Portland. Domas Savonis, a triple-double, 18 points, 18 rebounds, and 10 assists. College Hoops IUPUI snapped their four-game skid, topping Robert Morris, 81-75. Milwaukee over Purdue, Fort Wayne, 95-94. Tennessee Tech beat Southern Indiana, 82-79. Of course, the big one tomorrow night in West Lafayette, IU visiting Purdue at 7.30. Did you not want to get into your XFL scores? Do you want to do XFL again? I mean, we do need to boost our ratings out of the top 15. St. Louis over Seattle, baby, right? Oh, the Battle Hawks. (laughs) That, I, that's more of a crow, I guess. But I think Battle the, the Battle Hawks, though. Now here's a question: Do you think Battle Hawks means like birds, or does it mean like I, I think it's like ships, isn't it? That they're nicknaming as hawks. I think so. I think that's correct. Isn't it, aren't these like naval Battle Hawks? Yeah, I think their logo is some sort of a. It's battle- like a sword with wings on it, or something. A battle hawk is a form of helicopter that the military uses. Is that what it is? Yes. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking like um, fleet carrier. The current tagline for I the mean, battle that hawks sense. that I've heard is "Caw so like, is law." Well, like so, like chicken hawks were the wasn't that the name of the the nickname for helicopters during Vietnam? Right, Bell helicopters. Okay, so Sam with the info there. Battle there you hawks. Go. That makes Educating sense. and entertaining. Sorry, I was googling chicken hawk real quick. You were putting me on the spot there. Uh, that's just a type of bird, as far as I can see. There's a. Uh, there was a famous book written about the helicopter platoons in Vietnam called Chicken Hawk. I know that. So that's probably, maybe that was what the guy was calling himself. There you go. But nonetheless. Uh, we come back. We'll talk more about that Colts news with Bubba Ventrone. We've talked about that over the course of the weekend. A little more on Indiana and Purdue. Don Fisher joining us at 9 o'clock. It's Kevin and Corey on a Friday, 93.5, The Fan. I don't necessarily, Mark, think that there are... We were just talking to Greg about this. I think it's an interesting conversation. It seems as though it is inevitable that the Colts are going to take a quarterback with their first pick. Sure looks that way. But what if Chris Ballard looks at it and says, you know what, I really like next year's quarterback draft class. And I really think that we could get our guy, we're better off waiting a year. If you're Chris Ballard and you're looking at it and you're saying, I've got a, and Chris Ballard now, uh, you know, it appears would have this leash. If he says, I've got a three to five year window, not a one year window. And the combination of take Bryce Young or whoever it may be, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud. Is it possible that Chris Ballard looks at those guys and says, that quarterback added with the pieces that I can get in this year's draft in the second, third, fourth round 
adds up to less than what I would get with holding on to the fourth pick and using it elsewhere, holding on to the picks that I have and free agency, and then adding those pieces to the quarterback that would be available for me even beyond a top five pick in one year from now. Is it possible that Chris Ballard says, I'm actually going to go one more run with the Band-Aid procedure, and I'm going to draft a generational, you know, whether it be a lineman or skill set player in this year's draft, and then and go with Gardner Minshew and Sam Allinger as my quarterbacks, and then a year from now, I believe there are, let's say, three quarterbacks that are better than the three that I would be choosing from this year. I don't disagree that he could be thinking that. I don't think that the ownership aspect will uh, want that. I mean, we heard we heard in the introductory press conference with Shane Steichen that uh, Jim Irsay really likes the Alabama quarterback. So he's kind of he didn't say that. He didn't say that though, Mark. What did Jim Irsay say? He said he likes. Didn't he say that he likes the Alabama guy? Correct. That's right. He the said, Alabama guy. So I guess you could you could say he maybe he's talking about someone else, but. I think a lot of people assumed he's talking about Bryce Young. Agreed. But who is scheduled? Who is the only non-quarterback that is projected to go in the top three picks? Uh, Will Anderson. Where does he play? Alabama. Alabama. (laughs) See? So could Jim Mersey there have been playing? You know, everybody giggled, right? Mm Mm-hmm. All he said was the Alabama guy looks really good. Yeah, 75% chance what he was saying there was Bryce Young. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yes, he didn't say it outright, but, yeah, I think a lot of people assumed that he would be talking about the quarterback and not the defensive end. Here here is a mock draft, and what do I say about mock drafts? They're great because we can mock them. Here is a mock draft that has Jalen Carter from Georgia going number one overall to your Bears. This is if there's no trade out. Uh Uh-huh. The Houston Texans, they have taking C.J. Stroud. Then Will Anderson going to Arizona, who theoretically does not need a quarterback. Now, this is hard to think that nobody would trade up. And then with the fourth pick, they have Bryce Young going to the Colts. I agree with this. I'm going to make a projection here. I'm going to make a a prediction and a projection. Is that the same thing? I think so. There is no doubt about the fact. You mark my words right now as sure as the fact that today is a Friday and it's a gorgeous sunrise. You mark my words on this. And if I'm wrong, people can line up on Monument Circle with signs pointing up towards the sixth floor here telling me that I'm wrong. Right now, I think everybody agrees that Bryce Young is the quarterback that is number one going into the combine. Very rarely does the guy that's number one going into the combine, the problem with being the number one guy going into a combine is no one is looking for reasons to submit you as number one. They are rather looking for reasons to pull you away from it. Exactly. Like I said, his his size, when they measure his height, that is going to be under scrutiny all year. You mark my words. Two weeks from right now, you will start hearing all kinds of conversation and speculation that teams are going to trade up 
because they've now believed that C.J. Stroud is the number one quarterback available in the draft. And Will Levis is going to have Josh Allen-level intrigue where people are going to fall in love with Will Levis because he's going to go to the combine and he's going to throw a 75-yard pass in the air and he's going to show quote-unquote arm talent and they're going to be like, this guy is unbelievable, but he was throwing to inferior weapons at Kentucky versus the others that are there and Will Levis is the curveball in all of this. He has Josh Allen type potential. You're going to hear that over and over and Levis is going to start being mentioned within the conversation. And then you're going to hear Anthony Richardson though. Boy, I'll tell you what, the the, the what he the show he put on when he came out there and he ran an unbelievable 40 and his high jump is incredible and he actually was able to pull seven sled dogs outside and then he jumped on top of the idol jerk uh, broad, broad it, it was amazing and Anthony Richardson is absolutely and you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about his athleticism and we we believe we can teach him how to be quarterback I guarantee you're going to hear that. Not only all that, you're going to hear Hendon Hooker. He's the dark horse. That's right. Someone's going to take a chance, and they're going to be very Keep in happy. mind, if it weren't for the injury, he'd be top ten. You're going to hear that, right? Yep. When it comes to quarterbacks in the NFL and it comes to the NFL Combine, which is basically summer chapter for college coaches, or excuse me, for NFL coaches to wear their sweatsuits, walk around, go to St. Amon, go, hey, coach, you good? You good, coach? You good? Yeah. One of the things that absolutely – will jump out. There is always a combine warrior. Who was the guy that went out of Boston College that nobody had heard of, and then he shows up at the combine, and he had he literally, this guy was brilliant. He he shows up at the combine. He's like projected to be like a third-round pick. But he had an agent that said, here are the six things that they look at the most. Work on these six drills for like a year. So this guy shows up, and he broad jumps higher than everybody, and he does everything you know he does 37 reps on the bench press and he lat pulls 5,000 pounds and everybody's like holy cow and they and literally the Philadelphia Eagles take him like seventh overall and he plays like 12 games in his NFL career that's the lesson of the combine but I'm telling you I'm not saying Bryce Young's not going number one overall I'm not saying that but what I'm saying is if you are the Chicago Bears and right now, the stock for that number one pick is never going to be higher because people are like, oh, man, Bryce Young, like that's the guy we've got to move up. Once they go through the combine, that the value of that number one pick, I believe, it could go one of two ways. I mean, it could be that Bryce Young is so unbelievable or Stroud is so unbelievable that you feel like you have to get him at number one and you got to trade up to do it. But I think rather what you're going to see is the stock of Richardson – Levis, and in my opinion, Stroud, are going to raise to the point where the disparity between Young and the other three is going to be deemed less than what it originally was, and therefore, I think the Colts, if they choose to do so, are going to be safe at four. See, I think you're going to probably get someone at four, but the problem is then is that your second or third choice, because I think depending on who does what at the combine, it won't matter, because if, well, but what I'm if saying Bryce Young Mark- looks really good, but C.J. Stroud doesn't, that's going to put more pressure on, you have to go get Bryce Young. C.J. Stroud is a, low, a level lower than him, so anybody that wants Bryce Young is going to have to go up and get him at the number one pick, because you got the Houston Texans but, sitting there too. Okay, what I'm saying is, if Young, Young right now is seen as the very clear first pick. Yes, without question. Everybody and their brother knows that Houston's going to take a quarterback at number two. Mm-hmm. 
if Young is seen as this can't-miss prospect that is head and shoulders above everybody else. Which height-wise he isn't. What's that? I said height-wise he isn't, head and shoulders above. That's right. But if he is seen as separated as the number one prospect, then right now that gives Chicago a ton of leverage. Once you go into the combine, if it is determined that not only is Young closer to the pack than expected, but that the separation in two, three, and four is not is negligible, then that necessitates, I believe, less teams' desire to have to vault in front of Houston because they may say to themselves, hey, if Houston takes Young, that's cool, we'll take Stroud. Or if Houston takes Stroud, that's cool, we still end up with Young. Mm-hmm. I think and Arizona, I, if they stay at three, I don't think Arizona is going to take a quarterback. No, Arizona, I believe, is sticking with Kyler Murray. They just signed him to a big, long extension. Jonathan Gannon said that he took the job because of Kyler Murray. I think Kyler Murray had some kind of role in the head coaching search to begin with. Um, but no, I, I think that's fine. If you, if you know the Texans are going to take somebody, so whatever team, if you're if you're if you're the Colts or if you're another team that's interested in moving up, and maybe guys don't show much differentiation, you can be like, okay, well. We can stay at four. We can stay wherever we're at and try to get one of our guys. But you also have to assume that someone might get bold enough and likely will trade up with Chicago for one. So then you're looking at maybe you're not looking at Stroud or Levis. Maybe you are looking at Anthony Richardson then. Is that your fourth option? Are you okay with your fourth option possibly being your number one pick, your starting quarterback? I I don't know. That That's where you have to weigh the options, the risk-reward. Are you willing to give up the, as much draft capital as it'll take to get up to number one to for sure get your guy or are you comfortable possibly getting your second, third, or maybe even fourth choice if you're the Colts? Did you watch the semifinal game between TCU and Michigan? Yes. The receiver for TCU. I got to look up his name, and I'm embarrassed to say that. I should have had it written down. I don't know where he slots, but like there's, it looks like Quentin Johnson. Quentin Johnston is like six five, right? Yeah. There's going to be a run on receivers starting around fifteen or so, right? And if you're the Colts, you've got them. So I'm looking at Quentin Johnson right here. Runs a four four forty. He's twenty one. Is he eligible this year? He's he's a junior, so I believe so. I mean, I'm looking yeah, at it right I think now. I'm pretty sure he's declared. He's listed as the number one receiver. Am I missing him on, on draft? Because I'm not seeing him go. And I'm like, if that's the kind of guy, if you, my point being, if you can get a guy like that in the second round, you got to hold on to that pick. You know, like I, I just. Yeah, I'm looking at him on Tank. I don't, I don't see his name popping up on here. Maybe he didn't come out. I don't know. I, I just, that kind of a player, my point being, if, if it's, if. There have been drafts where receivers, there's been a run on them, like right outside oh, the top Oh, I see them. Yeah, they, they've got them going 12 to Houston. Okay. Because the one that I'm looking at doesn't have him in the first round. And that's where I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah, he but appears to be the top-rated I, wide receiver. What I see is one of the Ohio State guys going to Houston. But the point being if if you're waiting until 12 to 15 for receivers to start coming off the board there's going to be really good ones available at, in the 30s yeah zay and flowers think, from boston and college and that's where i think chris chris ballard has to take a look at holding on to that spot 
That's the thing. Some of, some of the compensation I'm seeing that they would have to give up for the Bears. I mean, I know it's a speculation and everything, but I mean, the one I saw was, yeah, they're giving up their first, second, and third picks this year and the next year's first. Like, See, boy, I, I with all give the up, holes that the Colts have, that is pretty rich. I would not give up next year's number one. I, I just, I think it's too important to hold on to. Yeah. Again, you have to be comfortable, though, if you're the Colts, then, that whoever your top pick might be is likely going to go to Houston, then. This is a good point from Chiefs fan Steve. And by the way, Steve, I'm going to be in Kansas City tonight, so if you need anything from KC, you let me know. I'll bring it back for you. Um, One of the – he says the Colts can't take C.J. Stroud just because of their draft luck with Ohio State. I mean, that's true, man. Jack Mehort was a good player, but he had to retire a little bit early because of injury. Mike Doss was a decent player, and then he started firing guns in theaters or something, and they got rid of him. Uh, Malik Hooker couldn't stay healthy. Quinn Pitcock got addicted to video games. Roy Hall was all-world in the airport and then got on the field and couldn't play dead. Um, I mean, it's on and on. Every Anthony Gonzalez, like Anthony Gonzalez is the guy I think one time that lined up wide to the outside and stood, and on the two-count of the snap, just his knee buckled. He was done. I mean, it's unbelievable. The, the 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 string of luck they've had or not had with Ohio State guys is really tough. Paris Campbell at the moment, who has finally shown finally. flashes, yeah, yeah took finally. a while, and I think he was a good player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I thought I think he looked just fine. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, that that is going to be all the speculation you hear next week at the combine is who's going to trade up with Chicago, what's Chicago going to get in compensation. And then you're going to start hearing the wild speculation of, can the Texans stay at two? Are they going to move up to one? Are the Colts going to leapfrog the Texans and move to one? Are the Panthers going to be a dark horse? There's going to be all kinds of speculation. If you're the Bears, if you're Chicago, you know, here's here's the other thing for Chicago at one. I mean, do you really feel like there is an obvious non-quarterback number one? No. And, and that's why I think, I mean, obviously the specula- speculation for that is that Jalen Carter or Will Anderson will be one of the are the top two defenders, and the Bears will get one of those guys, even if they move all the way down to four or even a little bit lower, they can get one of those guys, which I'd be totally fine with. But I don't think there's a dead set number one. I, whether it's Carter or Anderson, they seem to be kind of lockstep with each other. Hey, Jake, in terms of Ohio State players with the Colts, don't forget about Art Schleister. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I did a radio interview with Art Schleister once, and – that poor guy, man. I didn't – 15 years ago when I was working here, actually, down on the fourth floor. Uh-huh. And Arch Schleister had gotten out of prison and was like a spokesperson. This was like during the one of the four-day stretches when he would get out. And he was – One of the four-day stretches. Oh, I mean, he, he would get out like on Tuesdays and then like on, by Saturday. It's like Arch Schleister's been arrested. Um, we had him on because he was – heading up or starting up like a a program for people with a, with gambling problems. And he was like super cool. I mean, he really was engaging. He was really nice, really a great interview. And you just found yourself pulling for the guy. And I called, or, or later that day, I was with Robin Miller, who was not afraid to, to throw down a, a little bit on the ponies here and there. And... I said to Robin, I said, yeah, Arch Schleister, like, you know, we had him on. He, he was pretty cool. And Robin said, buddy, let me tell you something. You need to go running and screaming in the opposite direction. And what do you mean? He goes, there is no bigger scam artist in the history of scam artists than Arch Schleister. And I'm like, really? And he said, 
good guy when he came here. I mean, you know, he's like, I'm not saying that, like, but he goes, but once he got into the gambling thing, I mean, he ran his family dry. His father committed suicide over it. He can't stay out of prison. And Robin said the latest is he was telling people that he would get them Super Bowl tickets and, like, like little old ladies were calling Robin, like, do you know Arch Schleister? Because he sold me Super Bowl tickets and I haven't gotten my tickets yet. And I, I sent him – I wired him $2,000 or whatever. And literally 48 hours after I got off the phone with Robin, I, I, I look online and it's like, Arch Schleister's been arrested. And I think it was for the Super Bowl deal. And then he – the poor guy, I mean, he had gotten out. And, and I think he's back in again. It just that that addiction that he had was absolutely gripping. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I don't know how good a player, you know, he, he was a very, very good player at Ohio State. A lot of people don't realize. Arch Schleister, I think, is the one that threw the interception that Charlie Bauman intercepted um, for Clemson where Woody Hayes punched Bauman in the throat. I'm pretty sure that was Arch Schleister as a freshman in the Gator Bowl that threw that or a sophomore maybe. But he was a gifted player because he was athletic, kind of ahead of his time. But as soon as he got here and that got a hold of him, man, it was ugly, mm-hmm. ugly stuff. Yeah. But I don't know. I look at it, and again, Arizona to me, that's kind of – the fact that Arizona is drafting just ahead of Indianapolis, you got to wonder if Arizona – we talk so much, Mark, about Chicago trading out. Does Arizona trade out? Because Arizona – if Arizona's looking at it and they're like, okay – we don't need now. They do need an edge rusher because obviously, you know, Watt retires, right? I mean, they they Will Anderson is an elite level pass rusher out of Alabama, but does Arizona look at him and say that we got to get that guy, or we're going to parlay that into three different picks to allow someone like say, for example, and and don't rule this out. What team? What coach would love most to slap at the Colts? Slap at them? What coach would most oh, like Frank to Reich. get revenge on the Colts? Carolina Panthers. What team, aside from the Colts, has the biggest necessity at the quarterback position? The Carolina Panthers. How about Carolina moves up to three? in front of Indianapolis, or Carolina moves up to one in front of Indianapolis, not only to get their guy and rid themselves of the Sam Darnold, you know, but they say we have a quarterback whisper in Frank Reich. We're going to groom a young quarterback under him. Yep. Not, Not out of the realm of possibility. Another dark horse in Seattle Seahawks at five. They could use a quarterback as well. So we'll get into more Colts talk after that. We also have Don Fisher coming up at the top of the hour. Talk a little IU side of things as they head into their matchup against Purdue on Saturday. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Sam Fritz itching me where I scratch, which my my Foo Fighters love. Thank you very You're much. Itching for that. me where I scratch. Yep, yep. That's not an HR meeting I'm at just all. Actually, I'm just scratching where you me scratch, where you... and I'm like, sure, all right, I will Did also you, scratch. Which, there. which way did you say that? Itching me where I scratch. No, you... scratching me where I itch. Yes, I guess that's what it was. Whatever. Yeah. It's Foo Fighters. I Neither know. of those are the correct saying. Doesn't matter. We'll go to scratching HR meeting me, later. Is, it's he, fine. It's scratching my itch, but he still said scratching me where well, I. Well, he's quoting. You're quoting Kramer, right, from Seinfeld? Who? I've never seen that show. Yeah. yeah, Frank, I got to tell you, you're scratching me where I itch. Yeah. that's and One of my favorite episodes was on the other day where he, he gets the screen door and he turns into like see, Smoke okay. on USA. I thought the screen door one was good, it, but it, it went a little far. Like it was funny at first and then like once the like kids were hitting it with the silly string, it was like, oh, that's, okay. come on. That's I mean, the it, best part. I know, but it was a little ridiculous. The kids in the... <laughs> one of my favorite episodes... Is when um, the episode where, and, and nothing is better on morning radio than 35-year-old television show talk, but the the episode where he Kramer helps out with the, the old movie theater, uh-huh. and Mr. Horowitz leaves his glasses, mm-hmm. <laughs> Jerry has to put them on, because what's his name, um, Lloyd Braun thinks he's crazy. Yeah. Oh, and they go, they go and buy the gum. It's great. There's a lot of good ones. Elaine, uh, yeah. Yeah. The later years, Elaine, man. That's one thing you and I absolutely have in common. Is that, That's a common thought, though, isn't it, that Julie Louise Dreyfus at the end of Seinfeld was really good looking? Yeah. That's a common sentiment. I right? think so. I don't think we're, we're in the minority there. It's the there. attitude, though. That's what makes it, right? It's the attitude. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's like Damone says with the attitude. That's right. That's exactly right. We've got Don Fisher, voice of the Hoosiers. We'll ask his thoughts on Julia Louis-Dreyfus as well. Well, we probably won't ask him that. We, you sure? You don't want to? Well, you want we to lead in with Ask him some XFL you know, thoughts, do you too? Know, you like the Battle Hawks jerseys? Let me ask you this. Do you know Don Fisher's favorite baseball team? I do not. You know his favorite will, baseball player? I do not. I'm going to say Sam, Atlanta you know? favorite baseball team is the Marlins. Is that your guess? I'm seeing this going down the joke route, so yes, my guess is the Marlins. It's incorrect. I'm going to say the Braves. Braves? Mm-hmm. Okay. Hank Aaron, favorite player. Okay. That's your guess? Mm-hmm. I've mentioned it on this program before, so it's almost like a quiz. Oh. It's like a midterm exam, which I took yesterday. How'd that go? Uh, not bad. I, three questions are written out answers, and they have yet to be graded, so I'm not sure. Um, but hoping to maintain my 97.6% that I have Ooh, in the class. Thank you. you for asking. You get a free pizza at Pizza Hut, I and think. And then I'm with done, that just so everybody knows. And by the way, there are 700,000 Hoosiers who were like me that have college credits sitting out there and felt like they expired. They don't. You can still finish your degree, which um, in about six weeks I will be doing exactly that. Spaced it out so that I would do this over a one-year deal, um, even though it was not that many classes that I had to take. But that algebra one was a doozy, buddy. Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, next.
9 o'clock hour is underway in Indianapolis. For that matter, the 9 o'clock hour is underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. My name is Jake Query, Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen, Sam Fritz on the big board. Tomorrow night at 7.30, you can hear Indiana and Purdue on our sister station. That, of course, being 93WIBC. And the voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joins us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline to talk about that and more. Don, before we get to the game, I'm going to incorporate my favorite Don Fisher trivia question, which I have only mentioned to you 346 times. Um, But I'll begin by asking you this question. Have you ever seen the late 80s movie Grand Canyon, which featured Kevin Kline and Danny Glover? Does that ring a bell in any way, shape, or form? No. Okay. Um, Which is not surprising. I mean, it wasn't like a huge hit movie, but... In the movie, Kevin Klein's son's name is Roberto because the character, Kevin Klein's character, is a diehard Pittsburgh Pirate fan, and Roberto Clemente was his favorite player in his childhood. And I have all, I, I've always found this fascinating about you. Am I correct in saying, as I have pointed out before, uh, you share that sentiment? The Pirates were your favorite team as a kid, correct? They were absolutely my favorite team because I saw them when I was 10 years old. I saw them play uh, with, a lot, with the rest of our Little League program that went to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. To see the Pirates play the Braves, that's when the Atlanta Braves were still there in Milwaukee, uh, which tells you how old I am. Um, and I, I saw Roberto go three for five at the plate. He scored from first base on a double. He uh, threw a guy out at the plate with a, sh- a shot. That right arm of his was maybe as good an uh, arm as it's ever been in right field. And he threw the ball about 15 feet above the ground and hit the catcher in the glove, and he didn't move his glove as the guy slid into home plate and threw him out. It was just the most remarkable play I think I've ever seen. Of course, I was 10 years old, so it probably balloons in my mind in that way. But, no, I became a Pirate fan when I was 10, and uh, I've been a Pirate fan ever since, although – in recent years, my uh, fandom has waned. Yeah, I was going to say it's been it's been a little rough. But I think, Don, and this is what I think for IU basketball is so special to so many people, is that a large part of sports is the nostalgia of being reawakened of that magic of your childhood, right, of seeing plays and players that mean something to you and wanting so badly to be able to watch that again. That's like 90% of sports to me, right? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, what you grew up as a kid listening to or watching or seeing in person, uh, what you did from a playing perspective, just playing out there in the on the sandlot, so to speak, and, and playing two against two at a baseball game, because <laughs> I did that as a kid. Uh, all of those kinds of things play into your thinking process and play into what you really value uh, from a nostalgia standpoint. And uh, there's no doubt in my mind, that's why I became a Pirate fan. That's why I followed them for all these years, even though, this, like I say, I don't follow them nearly as close as I used to because they don't spend any money, and they trade everybody away that makes any money. Therefore, I'm not as big a Pirate fan as I used to be. <laughs> you realize, wait a minute, if they're not going <laughs> to invest in this, why should I, right? That's also exactly. part of sports. Hey, let's talk about this. And this is a really Maybe this is going to sound like a dumb question, Don, which I know will shock you. But with Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis is putting together, you know, what he is doing is remarkable in terms of his all-around statistical contribution to Indiana at this point. But you always do need help. And Xavier Johnson, you know, if he is going to come back, 
does Indiana start to run the risk of it being kind of too late to reacclimate him, or can they just kind of plug him in? And if he is healthy, everything just picks up where it left off. Well, that's what I'm hoping for. Obviously, uh, the latter. Uh, there's no question that X has been missing for some time now. Obviously, since the Kansas game, which means uh, that happened back in mid-December. Uh, this guy is such a special player in the sense of what he can do defensively. Uh, obviously, he's a really good point guard. Uh, he, he has his moments where he's not uh, what everybody wants to see out there because he gets a little carried away or goes a little too hard and maybe tries to make too many things happen. But what he does defensively for this team, I think, is the missing piece that they've had problems with ever since. And I'm talking about a guy who can guard the toughest guy on the other team from a quickness and athletic standpoint uh, because of his toughness and his ability to move. And the question is, when he comes back, will he be that same guy? That's number one. And then number two, uh, if he's not the same guy, then what do you do? So from a coaching perspective, I think Mike Woodson is going to try to play this thing as as best he can under the circumstances with the injury uh, how well he's going to be when he does come back, and then how do you insert him back in the lineup as a starter, as a guy coming off the bench? There's so many questions to be answered. I do believe that X will be back, and I think he'll be back maybe next week. Uh, I don't think he'll be back for this game against Purdue, perhaps Iowa, hopefully, if not Iowa, then certainly for the closer against Michigan in the regular season because I think he needs to get a game or two under his belt before he starts playing in the Big Ten tournament which would, if he gets back to any kind of normalcy, I think he can really help this basketball team. Voice of the Hoosiers, Don Fisher, joining us on Kevin and Query this morning. Don, obviously an emotional uh, evening in Michigan State the other night in the game. Trace Jackson Davis had a bit of an off night, seven turnovers in the game. Uh, just an off night, or is that because logging some heavy minutes is starting to catch up? Well, I mean, uh, that's all possible. I mean, uh, th- there's no question Michigan State had uh, a different perspective on how to guard him in this ball game that they did the first time I, I think Indiana made some adjustments uh, nothing that seemed nothing in this ball game seemed to work uh, to get this team off the snide so to speak uh, I, I wasn't surprised that it would be very emotional for Michigan State and I certainly thought that this would be a very difficult challenge to beat them at Michigan State in the first game back from the travesty that took place a week before so, you know, and I, I think that's part of what happened in this ball game. But Indiana continues to struggle at times with not having enough. Times during the ball game, because certainly they got off to a great start, but then it kind of it all fell apart and they couldn't put it back together again. And that's been a problem with this team on occasion this year. They, they have problems after they get going well to maintain that consistency in a ball game. Other times they've been really good, and primarily the times that they haven't is gone. It's a big concern at this juncture of the season. Don, when you look at, you know, when we get into the time of year, Don Fisher, the voice of the Hoosiers, our guest on the Payless Sugars Hotline, when you start looking towards, and I know we still have Big Ten tournament to play and games to play, but we've seen enough body of work now. Is Indiana a situational team? And by that, I mean, 
Are there certain teams that you look at and you say, in the right situation they can win that game, or is there a definitive blueprint of opponent that when you see it you go, oh, boy, they're in trouble because that's what they can't necessarily battle against? Is there any one style of team that you could definitively say is Indiana's true kryptonite? You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I haven't thought about it in that context. But at this juncture, I think most of it's because Indiana hasn't done what they need to do, and and I don't think it's because of what the other team has done. I think Mike Woodson. The one thing about him as a coach that I think is really good is he's seen just about everything, um, and he obviously game plans based on what he's seen from film and those kinds of things. So I, I'm very, I'm not concerned about his game planning or anything like that. I think that the big question mark is consistency with players. And uh, that's the one thing that I don't think we've seen enough of this year. Uh, Trace has been the one constant you can, you can lay or you can go out there and lay money on the fact that he's going to have a good ball game. I mean, you're talking about the game against Michigan State where he didn't have nearly the game that he's had previously. He had 19 points and seven rebounds. Generally speaking, that's a pretty good night's work for a, for a big man inside. Uh, in Trace's case, he's carried this team at this point. Um, and, and that's that's the one thing. I mean, Huchifino is really a good guard. He's, he's really become a good player. But he's turning the ball over a few too many times. And I just think getting X back would really help this ball club from a defensive standpoint. And I think those two things, uh, the consistency of the, the role player, so to speak, that number one, and then number two, I think the defensive problems they've had, a lot of it's due to the fact that they don't have a guard like X who can guard the quickest, fastest, toughest guy on the other team. And if you look at the games that Indiana has lost this year, oftentimes it's because that one guy that they couldn't guard consistently. Bowie kid, uh, the young kid from Maryland, those guys had uh, really kind of their way with Indiana in those matchups, and they were the reasons that Indiana couldn't win those games. Don, speaking of consistency, I I wanted to ask you about this because you know you you obviously are watching literally every set of of a game. That's what happens when you're the play by play guy. Does do games get officiated in the Big Ten consistently? Do, do you have a pretty good idea from one game to the next what is allowed and what is not, and what is tolerated and what is not? I've said this for many years now. I don't think there is enough consistency in the way games are called. And that's from game to game it changes. Uh, it depends on who the officials are. Uh, and even with the same officials, you'll see them officiate the game differently from half to half, for heaven's sakes. Um, I, I, you know, I know it's one of the hardest games in the in the world to, to referee or to be an official for because of the athleticism that's involved, all those kinds of things. And you see it in the NBA, too. There, there are nights when you look at a couple of plays, and the next thing you know, it's, it's officiated totally differently down the floor uh, by another official. I, there's just not enough consistency in that standpoint. But you can't really blame officials. Uh, the game is so fast. It's so quick. The replays, I hate. I, I've always hated the replay aspect of it. I think it takes away from the momentum of the game. Uh, and I think if the official makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. You know, that's just the way it should be. I think down at the end of ball games, that might be the only time I would look at and review a play. Uh, but not today. They they disrupt the ball game, even if it's in the first 10 minutes of the contest, to look at something. So 
I think it's, you know, at this point, I think it's just a, a tough game to officiate, and I don't think there's enough good officials. We certainly don't see enough good officials in the Big Ten, that's for sure. He's the great Don Fisher joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline on Kevin and Clary this Friday morning. Don, 14-1 and one at home, 4-7 and seven on the road. The Hoosiers averaging 11 points fewer per game on the road, and their three-point percentage takes a dip. Why are they struggling on the road? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a coach. I can't really tell you. I just think it's a different mindset. The one reason that I think that Indiana was great on the road or at home when Bob Knight was the coach is that he put no emphasis on the fact that it was going to be a tougher game when they got on the road or it was tougher to win on the road. He said the baskets are the same height. The floor is the same size. Uh, We're not going to worry about where we're playing. The difference now is that these kids all revolve around the crowd noise and all those kinds of things. Um, it just, to me, it seems like there's just more emphasis on the fact that, well, we're going on the road. It's going to be a tougher matchup. And, and Bob Knight never looked at it that way. And he got his players to think that, that, that it wasn't going to be a different kind of ball game. That's why they were so successful in those years. And uh, at this point in the season, uh, I don't think you can change that mindset. So we're going on the road to Purdue on Saturday. We'll see what we're going to see. But Indiana has won a few ball games on the road this year in Big, in Big Ten play, and they've been important games. So we'll see if Indiana can pull it out this Saturday. Don, for you, which is a greater sentiment? Kind of the joy or the pride for him and seeing Mike Davis's son become the second all-time leading scorer in NCAA history? or the feeling of being really old that the really cute kid that Mike Davis was carrying around at the Final Four is now the second all-time leading scorer in NCAA history. Well, I It's crazy, it. isn't it? It is crazy. And, and Antoine, has he just had a remarkable career playing mostly for his dad, and there's no question that, that Mike is so proud of him, and he should be. I mean, this kid has been phenomenal. And when you consider that he plays in a league, yeah, it's not the upper echelon league or anything like that. But this kid's had people guarding him two and three abreast at times through his career and still has been able to accomplish what he's been able to accomplish. And I just think it's remarkable. I'm so proud of Antoine and what he's been able to do. And, of course, Mike and I have been close friends for years, and I don't think there's a finer person in college basketball than Mike Davis. Don, in terms of the game tomorrow night, Don Fisher is our guest on the Payless Circus Hotline. Getting back to that, um, one of the real fun things for me is it just it, this is the way it should be. Two ranked teams between Indiana and Purdue. You know, at this point, I think Purdue's got a pretty strong hold on the regular season in the Big Ten. And now perhaps the fun thing comes down to the National Player of the Year with Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady. Both of them have just been wonderful players this year. Uh, we know now that Jackson Davis, this is going to be his last year in Bloomington. Did that surprise? Did you think that there was a chance Trace Jackson Davis would come back this year? After this year? Yeah. No, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly, I I was surprised he came back last year. Um, I think for the last couple of years, we thought uh, he really believes that he can play in the NBA, and I think he can. But the question is, can he shoot it in the NBA? And if he can't. The, the the career is not going to be all that long because his athleticism is terrific. He can play the four. Uh, he can do the things that, that you ask of a player from a defensive standpoint because of his athleticism, his quickness, his ability to guard people. But you've got to be able to shoot the basketball in, at, at the NBA level. And 
I, I just don't know. At 6'9", uh, he's got all the tools to be a really good player in the NBA, but that the lack of a shooting touch at this point and the lack of showing that um, is going to is going to hurt him. We know that. We know what the mock drafts say, all those kinds of things. Um, I'm not going to be surprised at all if he doesn't come back because I don't think he really wants to. I think he wants to get on with his life, whether it's in the NBA or elsewhere. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, I know that he has said, you know, hey, this is it for sure. I'm going to go through senior day. I And, I, Don, I'm, now I'm going to sound – a little ridiculous here. I, I did think there was the chance, just based on NIL and other things, that he would explore it because of what you talked about. Because, and maybe to be honest with you, Don, this is this is not a knock on Trace Jackson Davis at all. If he were to come, if if in fact, which we know now he's not, but if he were to come back next year, then the worry becomes: is he only coming back to showcase what he wants NBA scouts to see of him? And then does that come at the detriment? I've seen that other places, right, where guys have kind of been working harder on their NBA craft than helping out their college team. And he hasn't done that. He's been a remarkable player for Indiana. No, there's no question. You're exactly right. I mean, if you want an example of the guy that's thought about his stock in the NBA and how important it was and how he changed his game, look at Thomas Bryant when he played for Tom Crean. Yeah. I mean, they needed him inside more than anything else, and he wanted to be out. Boy, he hung a lot of time shot. on that three-point line, didn't he? Exactly. That's my point. So, no, Trace Jackson Davis has been about the team uh, his whole career at Indiana. That's what. That's one of the things I like most about him. More than that, though, he is still just a great young man and, and a terrific person. Uh, whatever he's going to do in his life and whatever comes along for him, he'll be great at it. There's no question in my mind. Don, a uh, question for you about next fall. Uh, J- Jalen hood Shafino, Trace Jackson Davis, Miller Cop, likely all leaving. What does this team look like when we get back together in the fall with the basketball team? What's Mike Woodson's roster going to look like? Who's going to be the starting starting five? <laughs> Transfer portal, right? I know. Yeah, exactly. There's there's no question. They've got two, two commits right now. Uh, obviously, they've got a lot more spots that they could fill, and you don't know who's going to leave uh, at this point. What it's going to look like in the fall, I can't even begin to guess because obviously there could be a lot of things transpire here in the in the summertime uh, or through the portal aspect of things. And NIL means a lot in these days, too, in regard to who you can get and what you can pay them. It just makes me sick to say that. But nevertheless, um, I, I think next fall is going to be totally up in the air for a long time here to come. Don, tomorrow night, uh, on Saturday night, when you are making the call from Mackey Arena, I'll be, uh, Shannon and I are going to Lawrence, Kansas, to go see Kansas play tomorrow afternoon, and we will be in the car almost perfectly timed to listen to the entire call tomorrow night from Mackey Arena. So we look forward to it, and uh, hopefully it should be a great game for you to call. It's going to be a great atmosphere. Well, there's no question about that. Mackey's a special place to play, just like Assembly Hall is. You can say this about Indiana. You got two of the greatest places to watch college basketball, and you got one of the greatest places to watch the NBA in Gamebridge Fieldhouse. It's just three phenomenal facilities. No doubt about it. Don, enjoy it tomorrow night, and we look forward to listening to the call. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, Don Fisher on the Payless Sickers Hotline, Indiana and Purdue, tomorrow night, 730. You can hear it again over on our sister station at 93 WIBC. Time for a morning check down. Don't forget, it's uh, it's also Freebie Friday on the Pop Quiz, so we've got that coming up next, we as well as get a free us. Jiffy Lube oil change. Which what? is nice. What? <laughs>
What'd you say? So you got that going for you. That, this is nice. Yeah. Oh, that's that's surprising. You did a Bill Murray quote because you don't you don't care for that man, unfortunately. I, I think he's kind of a no talent. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind he of really good. A in, no talent. He was really good in Zombie. Yeah, Land. that would I, tell me that he, you're not a fan. I thought he was funny in Zombie Land. Bill Murray made I my childhood. I just think the shtick of him showing up at golf tournaments and jumping in the water and like being at Cubs games. I, I, I get it, right? It's just after a while, it's like okay. But I will say this for the Bill Murray. The man made Ghostbusters. I will he say made this what for about Bill Murray. Bob, Stripes, Caddyshack? Come on now. This is the one thing I'll say for Bill Murray. He seems like a super dude. He seems like a guy that if you walked up to him at a Cubs game, he would just be like, hey, man, what's going on? He's, I will give him that he seems incredibly kind. Would you tell him to his face he's a no talent? Yep. You're a nice guy. Kind of a no talent though, in my book. <laughs> I'm Jay Query, by the way. Oh, boy. All right. Let's transition to the 17th most That's popular right. mid radio out of that show one. And on the transition out of the Bill Murray slander. From uh, Pacers on the wrong end of a 142-138 overtime loss to the Boston Celtics last night. That was a hell of a game. Jason Tatum, 31 points, 12 rebounds. Jalen Brown, 30 points, 11 rebounds. Miles Turner just going off. 40 points, 10 rebounds. Career high in three-point hits. Man, that was that was a great game. Probably, Like I said, it was a loss, but it was probably my favorite Pacers game of the season to watch because that was just back and forth down the stretch. Uh, Turner, as you talked about, a career high with 40. They had said at the beginning of the year they wanted to see him kind of do what Don Fisher was talking about, that Thomas Bryant did at Indiana, hang around that three-point line a little bit and utilize it up coming off of Tyrese Halliburton, getting him open looks. Eight of ten from three-point range. Miles Turner on his shooting last night. Man, I just think just being aggressive, you know, I think the um – the three is what presented itself the most tonight, and um, I was just making the most of my opportunities. And, uh, you know, my guys are getting me the balls in the right spot. And, you know, fortunately for me, it was a, it was a great shooting night. Pacers now embark on a four-game road trip that starts Saturday embark night at Orlando. Embark is an underrated word, isn't it? You don't hear people say embark a lot. Yeah. It's in – kind of my name is in there. Embark, Mark, a little well, but bit. they use a K. I know. That's the problem. We, we're going to bring did, it up. In how the, did in, you end up with just the C and Mark? I don't know. I have to ask Todd and Debbie Dykton. I don't know. Is it Marcus? No. People ask that all the time, too. No, just Mark. People ask me all the time if it's Jacob. Yeah? And I'm like, no. Jake's yeah. not even my real name. I'm not saying my real name, but Jake is not my real name. Yeah. Well, Mark is right, my real name. Marcus is not my name at all. So elsewhere in the What's NBA. What's middle initial? Steven. It's S. Mark Steven. So that's that also throws people because they see Mark and then they see the S. They think that, oh, you forgot to put the U there. I'm like, no, no, no. Just Mark S, not Marcus. <laughs> okay. There's some errors there that can cause some confusion. And then Dykton, that's a whole other situation. <laughs> not there. <laughs> Nuggets, Magic, Sixers, Raptors, Mavericks, Jazz, Lakers, and Kings, all winners in the NBA last night. Did swoosh. you already mention the, the college scoreboard? No, we didn't. We were Stand talking about we NBA. have the swoosh? Uh, IEPY last night over Robert Morris, 81-75. And then the joke we've been using, and I'll use it again next year when they play him, uh, Robert Morris actually brought more than just Robert. So they beat all five guys. You've said that joke like ten times. It never gets old. We're even in break and you're, hey, do you hear that one about Robert Morris? I just said I will use it again. And I went to college with a guy named Robert Morris that said, you know, I own a trucking company. That radio thing doesn't pay very well. You want to do some in the afternoons? Sign me up. I want to drink a 90-gallon coffee. My I would love to be an over-the-road trucker, though. Have the little sleeper cab. Yeah. Hang out at truck stops, take showers. I guarantee you have some trucker hats at home that you just wear, and you're like, one day I'll be on a big rig. Totally. Uh, Milwaukee over Purdue Fort Wayne, 95-94, and Tennessee Tech, 82-79 winners over Southern Sorry, Indiana. Shannon can't stop. Got a haul ass to Montreal. 
you know, that does. Got to bring these ketchup chips. I know people now that are doing the Amazon Sprinter stuff, and you call them, and they're like, I've got nine hours to El Paso. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Colts, uh, Bubba Ventrone headed to Cleveland to be their special teams coordinator. Shane Steichen going to be looking for a special teams coordinator for the Colts, and he also has to get an offensive line coach because Chris Strausser left for Houston. So he's got a couple moves to make. Uh, we'll see if by the week after the weekend, uh, heading into the Combine, They've made those uh, they've made those moves official because the combine starting Wednesday. We will be Mark doing the show from the combine on what days next? Wednesday, week? Thursday, Friday next okay. week. I think, I think Ryan Grigson's going to come by and join us and talk we, about just from a general manager standpoint, like what are they looking for at the combine? We nothing is confirmed yet. We're also hoping to get Shane Steichen in person at the combine as well, and then uh, I can guarantee you for a fact Tuesday we're going to be talking North Turner. Who has a big role in Shane Steichen? For a fact, for a fact, he's. I thought you said for fat Tuesday. That was last Tuesday. No, no, no. For a fact, F A C T. Okay. North Turner going to join us at nine o'clock. Talk about Shane Steichen and the impact he had on his coaching career. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Freebie Friday, right? Freebie Friday. Jimmy Lavoie change on the line. You are guaranteed to win. We do have the pop quiz, though. We will ask you the questions, but you're going to get the oil change regardless. Regardless. Yep. Yep. All right. And we're doing that next. We are doing that next. Three one seven two three nine ten seventy. You know, yesterday was kind of a redemption story on the pop quiz because Jeff, uh, who first when he called in, he said he knew people related to me. And then he called in and said he's related to people related to me, which unless it's from a different side of the family would would mean I'm related to him. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Jeff didn't fare as well the first time that he did it. I gave a lot of hints, and they didn't. He didn't seem to, to grasp them. Yeah, did much better yesterday. I think mm-hmm. he was four for five. Maybe it was like the query thing, where like you fail the first time, the second time you start to do really good. <laughs> well, I got news for you. This is my second time working within this radio cluster, and that doesn't adhere to oh, well, what you're saying, right? That was a shot at me. I think. <laughs> I'm not saying that. <laughs> I'm saying. Hopefully, this time around is going better than the first time, although I think I've already exceeded the length of tenure of my first cup of coffee. See? Better the second time. There you go. <laughs> That's right. Now, now algebra was actually – I looked at my transcript. I think I withdrew from algebra five times. Yeah. That sounds about like me. I'm terrible at math. You couldn't – well, you could pay me to take math again. I wouldn't like it, but you could pay it's, me to do it's it. It's rough, man. It's not fun. It's, it's not I'm not fun. looking forward to my daughters getting older, and then they're like, Daddy, how do you do this math? Like, the hell if I know. Do you know that one of the classes um, – one of the formulas that I was doing in my last module, my tutor said to me – because I'm like I, – I, I'm like embarrassed at how bad I am. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, well, Jake, you can't feel totally terrible because this form or this style of math that you're being asked to do here was not taught 30 years right. ago. Right. That's the thing. Math changes. Like, yeah. You have to do it this way. Like, but it can also be this way. Yeah, but you have to show your work this way. It's like, oh, boy. I don't understand. Like, if, if the goal is to get from here to Atlanta – it doesn't really matter which way you take, right? Right. So long as you have to get there by a certain time, whatever route you decide to take is, is that's up to you, right? I always thought like Just math. As long as you get to the end, like yeah, and, and math courses. I'm like, could you have taught me how to do like taxes or like stuff like that, or write a check or something a little more? Like well, instead of figure out this geometry or whatever that I'm it's never. Funny you use. mention that. My buddy Mac Engel is in town, 
And we were just talking yesterday about the fact that I have always said, Mark, always said, when I was at North Central High School in my senior year to graduate, you had to take one semester of economics and one semester of government. Both are important, don't get me wrong. But I've always felt, and when I become mayor, this is going to be the case, um, even though politicians can't necessarily dictate school curriculum, at least typically, um, they should have a class in all schools called Life 101 where you learn what a credit score is, you learn what a credit card is, you learn what mortgage rates mean, you learn what property taxes are, you learn about income tax, all of that. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people don't realize a ton of that stuff, yeah. myself included, when you come out of school. Yeah. Like, what do I need to know Euler circuits for? Tell me how to do these taxes. <laughs> so I have to keep paying people to do them. All right, anyway, let's get the math talk out of here before we drop to, like, 29th in the rankings. That's right. It's a pop quiz, freebie Friday, 2, 3, 9, 10, 70. Uh, one through eight, Jake, pick a number. Um, More math for you. Indiana and Purdue tomorrow will be playing their second game of the year, so I will go with number two. Sam, who do we got? That's going to be Mick. Mick! What's up, man? Hey, what's going on? How's it going this morning? Mick, you sound like a fun fella. Uh, have you called the program before? Uh, I've called many a times, but I've never got through. Oh, okay. Well, that's fun. Um, if you don't mind me asking, Mick, is Mick your given name? Is that a nickname? Is that a shortened name? No, it's actually Nick, N-I-C-K. Oh. Nick, like short for Nicholas, okay? Come on, Sorry about Sam. That. No, Sorry I asked for clarification. Nick. I heard um, Mick twice. Okay, so Nick, uh, how old a fellow are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 30. 30-year-old Nick, okay. So that means that you graduated from high school, I'm guessing, somewhere around like 2011, somewhere in there? That's correct. 2011. And, and you were, the high school that you attended, their athletic nickname was what? Like Eagles, Falcons? The, wow, you're actually correct on the second Falcons. The Falcons? Yep. Okay, and so that means that did you attend Perry Meridian? That is correct. Okay, so this is uh, Nick. Now, what year was Andre Owens was well before that, correct? Yes, yeah. He was a few years uh, before me, yeah. They had a pretty good player on that played with him named Noel Rainey that I always thought was kind of underrated that was a pretty decent player. But Andre Owens was pretty darn elite. All right, so, Nick, what line of work are you in now, if you don't mind me asking that? I'm a, I'm a plumber. Oh, okay. Well, that's fun. Now, now, I'll tell you what. That, I would think, um, is the kind of work. See, you figured it out, Nick, and, and you tell me. if you, I have told people from day one, we get too lost in this, in this country and whatever else on telling kids that they all got to go be doctors, and I tell them all the time, you know what doctors have in common? None of them know how to fix their sink, and they'll pay darn good money for people that can, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's correct. I might, I might need to talk to you. <laughs> my, you uh, garbage, my garbage disposal is leaking. Yeah, I don't know why. Really? But, yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay. Stay on hold. I, I, I'll, I'll come over there. <laughs> okay. Uh, Nick, here we go. You ready for question number one? Would you like for me, that would be Jake, or would you like for Mark to lead you off? Uh, let's go with you, Jake. Okay. Well, hold on. i got to pull up the pop quiz now. Hang on. I lost it. All right, here we go. Uh, now, just out of curiosity, Nick, any reason you'd pick me? If you had to go to the PBR party and you got to pick to have a PBR with or a Diet Coke with either me or Kevin, which one would you pick? Oh, uh, it'd definitely be you. Well, my man. All right. What am I doing? I'm just hanging out in the parking lot? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. well, you're calling him Mick. That's what you're doing. I'm going off of what Sam said. <laughs> you're like Rocky Balboa over there. All right, question number one. In, in the NBA this season, Nick, 47 different players have recorded 40-point games. That ties a record that was set 
in 2021. Whose 40-point game last night tied the record? Was it Miles Turner, Lori Markinen, Luka Doncic, or De'Aaron Fox? Uh, Miles Turner. Okay. All right, Nick. Nikola Jokic recorded his 22nd triple-double of the season as the Nuggets won. Nikola Jokic to you, right? That's right. Uh, Got his 22nd triple-double of the season as the Nuggets won in Cleveland last night. Was the Nuggets Nuggets record this season when Jokic has a triple-double? 22-0, 21-1, 20-2, or 19-3? Go with the first one. 22-0. That's a good guess. Okay. All right, here we go. Nick, question number three. Jason Tatum, 31 last night. Jalen Brown, 30 last night. It's the night time this season that Tatum and Brown have each scored 30 in a game. Only one combo has had more such games in a season. Which two teammates combined for more games where they each scored 30? Was it Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook? Steph Curry and Clay Thompson? Shaq and Kobe? Or Larry Bird and Kevin McHale? Uh, uh, let's go Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Okay. On this day in 1980, the United States Olympic hockey team defeated Finland 4-2 to win the gold medal at the Lake Placid Olympics, two days after the miracle on ice over the Soviets in the semifinals. Before 1980, when was the last time the U.S. won an Olympic gold medal in ice hockey? A, 1968. B, 1960. C, 1932. D, the U.S. has never won gold before 1980. It was the same year John Kennedy was elected president. Oh, man, that's well before me. Uh, Go with, uh, what was B? 1968. It was was 51 years before you graduated from high school. 1968, 1960, 1932, or the U.S. has never won gold before 1980. Uh, 1980? Before 1980? The last one. 1932? Or the U.S. had never won? It was 51 years before you graduated from high school. So basically rule out D. So 1968, 1960, or 1932? 1960. Okay. Last question. The 48th IHSAA Girls Basketball State Finals takes place tomorrow at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Where were the very first Girls Basketball State Finals held in 1976? Was it Market Square Arena? Hinkle Fieldhouse, the Fairgrounds Coliseum, or Nickerson Hall at the University of Indianapolis? Uh, was that Hinkle Fieldhouse? Nice. Nice. All right, Nick, let's see how you did. Nick, what if I told you for question number three, where you went with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, the other options were Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, or Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. What if I told you that if the record is surpassed, sadly one of the two people who holds it will not be there to see it? Uh, Oh, yeah, Kobe Shaq. Okay. Uh, Here we go. Question number one. Uh, Obviously, yes, Miles Turner was correct. Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets 22-0 and when he gets a triple-double this year. Uh, question number four. It took a little work to get there, but in Squaw Valley, Colorado, it was in 1960 when they won, and Hinkle Fieldhouse correct as well. It's a freebie Friday, so it doesn't matter that I had to lead you right up to it, but you did eventually get it. Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant both were correct for question number three, despite originally the guess of Stephen Clay, which is a pretty darn good guess. Uh, Nick, stay on the line. We'll get you hooked up with the oil change, all right? Thanks for listening and for picking me for the PBR party.
And I might be calling you about plumbing issues. <laughs> uh, we'll come back, come back, I should say, and put a bow tie on all of it. It's Kevin and Query here on a Friday. I just presented Scotty with the following trivia question. What was that? What is the... Now, this is one of those that I'm going to ask, and then everybody's going to send me a tweet or a text to tell me. that. And by the way, my, my you can always text me. Like this weekend, if you're watching the IU Purdue game, although I'm going to be driving, so be, be careful. Uh, 523-9288 is my cell phone number. That's a 317 area code, obviously. But 523-9288. I like it if every once in a while if people will text me to let me know that they're actually listening especially after Matt said that Kevin's the glue of the show and he wasn't listening now. That makes me self-conscious. So if if you want to drop me a line and let me know, you could also drop me a line if you think that my question is inaccurate. And that is, what is the only state in the country that does not have a public university that uses the name of the state in the name of the school? You follow what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about it. Scotty stumps. There's, that there's means, a bit of there's well a bit of me. a curve because they, they, as a result of it, as a result of it, a a major university started kind of incorporating a tagline with the state in it. Scotty, you have a guess? New Jersey, New Jersey is correct. Ooh. So Rutgers started using Rutgers Univers- State University of New Jersey. Gotcha. Interesting. Like the New Jersey Institute of Technology, I believe, is a private school, right? Mm-hmm. What, what is the – you know, then again, like if you go in California, you have the university system and the state system. And the university system – they're two different things. They're both public. University system, though, I think is a little more academically elite. University of Cal Berkeley, University of California, Los Angeles, like those are elite level uh-huh. schools. Then you have the state system, which you know Cal State Irvine, Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State, Chico State. Chico State apparently is like the the party school of California. Can you imagine that? I can't imagine. <laughs> Long Beach State's kind of cool. I'm going to be in Long Beach in like a month. You want me to bring you back some stuff from Long Beach? Sure, State? go ahead. Chico State. What is their mascot? What is going on here? What is their mascot? Willie the Wildcat. I'd like to say that Shippensburg University, my alma mater, could give them a run for their money as far as party schools go. Chippensburg? Shippensburg. They said Chippensburg. Shippensburg. Yes, this is not a Nick Mick situation. It is Shippensburg. <laughs> I am fully confident in that. Most alcohol-related arrests per capita of any university in the United States. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily a, a huge thing to be proud of, right? Well, no, it's not, but I'm just saying as a party school, we can give, uh, you know, whatever this other university you know, was. Do you remember this, Scotty? Scotty Johnson's still hanging out in here. When... When I was a kid, the running narrative for, for years was always, you know, Playboy doesn't even rank IU anymore in the top party schools because they t- said they're professionals. Like, IU, like, had this reputation as this massive party school in the 80s. And I I feel like that's kind of shifted to, like, Ball State now, right? Ball State gets it done is what you're saying? I mean, I think Ball State is kind of thought of as more the party school in Indiana than IU is now. I, I could be wrong in that. 
I mean, I was just little... just there this past weekend. It looked like a fun time. Ball State? Yeah. What were you doing at Ball State? Like I said, we went to the Children's Museum in Muncie, and then we drove past Ball State because I'd never seen the campus before. We never went by it. So Really? Yeah, went by it. We saw this awesome I, – I, I mean, I guess I've, see, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It was the first time I saw it. We were going through Ball State's campus, and there was a robot delivering food. It's crossing the street. It's fascinating. I turned around a couple times to see it. Robot? You mean like it like looked a, like like, like, look- like an RC car, like a giant RC car, but it was crossing just like the street. a wagon, just a motorized wagon, right? Yeah, but it's bringing food to somebody. That looked fun. But here's the thing, I, I, I've always wondered this as well, like the the drone food deliveries that are supposedly coming and stuff like that. Uh, what's what would have stopped you from getting out of your car and just taking the food? Well, I don't know how that works. If it's like latched until it reaches its final destination or something, or what? I don't know. Would they get cold? No, it looked like it was. It was like a there's a lid on top of oh, it. Oh, really? So like the robot pops open and it's like, here's your food. I don't know if it talks to him, but then now, it just it, it then it left and it turned and it went by their cafeteria and it parked by all the other robots that are just sitting. So out there. I went to Ball State for the first time when I was in high school. They had the Indiana Association of Student Broadcasters. And which now, you know, Rich and I is very involved in that. And, and a lot of times I will help try to ju- or try to help judge different competitions. But I, I think when I was in high school, there were 42 schools across the state that had basketball and football play by play on the student stations. And we would submit tapes for the competition at and it was judged. And then the awards were presented at Ball State. Mm-hmm. And. I did basketball play-by-play with Adam Alexander, who now is with NASCAR on Fox. And I did football play-by-play with Mac Engel, who is the beat writer for the Cowboys for the – well, he's the columnist for the Fort Worth Uh Star-Telegram. Mostly features the Cowboys. Mac is the guy that, when I had my heart attack, that's who I was with, and Mac is the one that drove me to the hospital. Um, And then he stopped at two of the stoplights on the way there. (laughs) Want to be safe? Rules of the road. Can we get going here, please? We 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 get to Shadeland, and the hospital's on the left, and the light turned red. And Max like, oh man, and I'm like, yeah, dude, you can run the red, please. So he did. Um, But at any rate, we we entered the competition, and I drove up one Saturday with um, Rob Gould, also a buddy of mine, and a girl named Melinda Fickle, and we drove up to Ball State to the competition. And that was the first time I've been on the Ball State campus, and it's it, life is just different now. Like, I'm not even sure that my parents knew that we drove, drove up there one day. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? We're like, yeah, we're just going to go to – like, we're going to Muncie for the weekend. Now, like, seemingly when kids go to a college campus, like, they're – I don't know. Like, it's everybody kind of handles it like their kid is a five-star recruit, and everybody mm-hmm. wants to know where their kid's going. And I, mean, I get it. I mean, it's the social media world. But every time I went to Muncie, it rained. Really? And I think that I was turned off of going to Ball State for that fact. And that's very unfair, obviously. But I've, I've said on this show, and I'll say it again, if your kid is looking at colleges and visiting schools, you need to make your visits like the window's kind of closing here. Mm-hmm. But I've always felt like if when you make your official college visit, you should do it in like the middle of January when it's gray and 35 and raining because – that's when you need to know that you feel comfortable. If you feel comfortable in that situation, you're going to be able to thrive at that school because you're going to be comfortable all the time. A day like today when it looks like this outside, but if it's 70, 
and you go to a college campus and everybody's like throwing the frisbee and riding bikes yeah. and you're like this place is the greatest place ever and you're gonna love it and then you get there and november hits and you're like well wait a minute that was false advertising it that's been what a, happened to me at campus. last weekend when we went was a good time to go then because it was windy and it was a bit dreary but that campus looked fun so you ended up at what's you went to you in university of indianapolis you applied yeah. where I went to University of Indianapolis. I applied elsewhere, Eastern Illinois, Northern Illinois, a couple other places. But went to a campus to visit University of Indianapolis, and I liked the size of the campus and whatnot. And said, "This looks fun." So, when you were a student at UND, how much? Uh, I'm curious of this for people that are listening and their kids are thinking about colleges. As a student at UND, how uh, attached or detached did you feel to the city of Indianapolis? Pretty attached. I mean, you could. I mean, getting downtown was like 10, 15 minute drive, so it wasn't too bad. It, but. Did they like? Did you have? Did you feel like it was a true campus? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And you enjoyed it. Yeah, enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's not obviously not the biggest campus. It's you know, Ball State towers over it in size comparison right. and stuff, but still fun. Okay, I mean, you so felt Sam, like you applied to what schools? Uh, none that the listeners here know. Shippensburg. Actually, you know, I did apply to Ball State, but thirty-one thousand dollars a year out of state was too much for me. Uh, Shippensburg University, Westchester, and Pitt. Okay, well, Pitt, yeah. Pitt's yeah. like a, an elite-level engineering school, right? Yeah, but they also have an accreditation for journalism, which is what I ended up going for. Okay. Um, yeah, so we're going – this is the first time that I've been – I have covered games at KU. Uh, when I worked in St. Louis, I covered a couple of games in Allen Fieldhouse, and I, I have driven through Lawrence twice since I left, but I did not have a good experience at mm-hmm. Kansas. I was homesick. It was, it was awful. Um, all of that's totally on me. But after 30 years, I just decided, you know what, like I, I want to go back and just spend a weekend there and go to a game and and just kind of soak it all in so that, you know, that's what we're doing this weekend. But um, so now it should that, be fun. Is that an over, a couple over, couple night overnights or you leaving today? Tonight, we're, no, we're leaving today and we're going to stay. I've got a friend in Kansas City. We're going to dinner in Kansas City tonight in the plaza. Uh-huh. And then Lawrence is only – it's from Kansas City to Lawrence is probably about like Indy to Bloomington. Um, so then we'll stay tonight in Lawrence, get up tomorrow, do some things. The game's at 3.30 in Lawrence, and then we're heading out. I mean, I don't know if I'll stay the whole game. So we'll leave at 6-ish Lawrence time, which is 7 our time, and that gets us back at like 3 in the morning. It's, it's about bad. a seven-and-a-half-hour drive. It's yeah. not bad. Sounds fun. You go to St. Louis, and then it's another three-and-a-half. The worst part of the drive is from here to St. Louis. It's pretty grueling, right? Yeah, yeah, I've done that drive before. I've never been to Kansas City before. would love to go, but – yeah, Kansas City is Indianapolis, but too far removed from it. That's the only problem with Kansas. It's a great city. The the there's an area they have there called the Plaza, which kind of looks like our Meridian Kessler area. It has the second highest number of fountains, I believe, in the world behind only Venice, Italy. Uh, it's a beautiful area. The only problem with if you were to live in Kansas City is you are literally five hours from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of in the middle of nowhere. But I, we're going, you know, barbecue dinner. I, I mean, all that. That's kind of the stereotype. And then the draft. Actually, my buddy Corey that lives there was like, you know, the draft is going to be in Kansas City next year. And I'm like, oh, man, 800,000 people are going to be there, right? The old attendance record that you're going to be calling come on, fraudulent. Come on. Um, what do you got going on this weekend? So man? last weekend, like I said, it was a lot of day trips. We did Louisville on Friday. We did Muncie on Saturday. Sunday was kind of a hangout. This weekend, we're going up to my parents' house. So we're going to see oh, that's a little right. bit. Yep. 
right, do that and see some Chicago museums probably and all that stuff. But then uh, next week, Kevin will be back, and then we'll be at the Combine for most of the now, week. Now, are you, are you back here one more at the Combine, or are you going to be on site with us? I will be here to do the show, but then I'll be heading over there after the show to gotcha. mix and mingle and okay. see what happens. Uh, tomorrow night, Indiana-Purdue. I had said the first go-round when they were in Bloomington that I thought Indiana would win by five in Bloomington. And Purdue would win by 15 in West Lafayette. I know Indiana fans are hoping that I am wrong in that regard. One thing we know going into the game, even though it was uh, pretty widely speculated going into the week, but the week began with Trace Jackson Davis telling just a couple of reporters that this was it for him. And then yesterday he made it official um, that Trace Jackson Davis will not return to Bloomington next year, that this is going to be – the end of the run for him, understandably so, fabulous career, uh, and four-year eligibility. I mean, he had the extra year because of the COVID year. He could have come back. He would have actually become the Big Ten's all-time leading scorer had he come back. But I kind of agree with what Don Fisher was saying. I mean, in terms of what he wants to do at the next level, I think Trace Jackson Davis is – I'm not going to say that he's going to be a Draymond Green-type player. But I could see him being a guy that someone takes a flyer in the second round and then realizes, I think his rebounding alone could keep him in the league for a long time. Now, you know, what does he do defensively? Can he get out on the wing and guard people? That's going to be, you know, can Trace Jackson Davis step out on the wing and guard Brandon Miller? And I don't mean the Butler Brandon Miller. I mean the Alabama Brandon Miller. Um, you know, that type of a player. That's going to be the challenge for him at the next level, and then can he himself be that guy on the wing? That's going to be the question. It'll be interesting. Yeah. It's, it's very curious what his ceiling is going to be in the NBA and then also how they do on Saturday. Who you have winning? Are you still standing by your 15-point I mean, I said, down? It, I said it back then, so. got to stick by it? I will let everybody know what a genius I am if, in fact, Purdue wins by 15. I'm going to take Purdue in this one as well. Uh, I just think yeah, home cooking, and like we talked with Don Fisher, IU has struggled on the road mightily, 11, point, 11 points less per game when they're on the road. So give me N- Purdue. I don't think they're going to be winning at the clip that you said, but that's it. All right, well, travel safe this weekend. All right, Mark? Thank you, too. Sam, thanks. We'll talk to everybody Monday at 7. Have a good one, everybody. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.